Hey y'all, it's Roberto and Abby here. Um, Though this podcast goal is primarily to entertain, we think it's super important to take a moment before diving into today's episode, which was recorded in May, to acknowledge the state of the world today, our country, um, really just what's going on outside right now. Dearly Departed stands in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and the movement to abolish the police. We want to make that stance really clear. Um, We're recording this intro on the day that would have been and should have been Tamir Rice's 18th birthday um, if he had not been murdered by the Cleveland police. So we want to encourage you, if you're listening to this episode, to donate to the Tamir Rice Foundation which invests in children through after-school programs. It was created by Tamir's mother, Miss Samaria Rice, and I've linked it in the description for this podcast episode. Um, I'm also going to include a few other links to anti-racist materials and places where you can donate, things that you can read, and I highly suggest that you click on those links. Thank you. The moment of truth has arrived. It's the moment we've all been waiting for. We've seen clocks. What? I'm sorry, we were just improvising, so I got lost. Was I supposed to memorize the whole thing that you just recited? (laughs) (laughs) It is time for the final four episodes of Zero Hour. Dearly departed, are you listening? We will remember all about you. We were trembling We can't believe that they would doubt you We won't forget You and the rest Dearly depart, dearly departed Welcome back everyone for a really really exciting segment of Dearly Departed for us. I don't even really, like, want to be dramatic. But I'm kind of emotional right now. Right. Just because we are finally reaching the end of Zero Hour, and it's been such a relief. We've experienced so many highs and lows while watching this show. I just like literally teared up. Like, am I okay? <laughs> I, I, I have a confession. I think the first nine episodes, um, I think saying they were difficult to sit through would be an understatement. Um, sorry. In the distance. Someone's playing Feliz Navidad outside. <laughs> it actually feels fitting for this moment. It's May the 1st. <laughs> the last four episodes do feel like a gift from baby Jesus. They kind of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they kind of go off. It's a Christmas morning. I didn't hate episodes 10 through 13 at all. I kind of had and now a blast. I'm kind of bummed for the sake of the show that it was canceled after like episode five or whatever, because I mean, I get Because it. if people had stuck around through 10 more episodes. They would have gotten, you know, the son <laughs> of God, you could say. Um, yeah, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. We definitely enjoyed this more. And I also think just having the end in sight made it more enjoyable for us just because right. we started watching this show in February and it, it's been like but a little I bit of a... But I think back to like the nine lives of Chloe King. Right. And 
the last few episodes of that are were arguably worse. Worse. We <laughs> had the opposite experience with that show yeah. where like every every episode we wanted to watch it less and less. Yeah. We didn't even finish Firefly. Oh, what a time. <laughs> One of but the you most know critically acclaimed single season shows. That I've seen it. That's the past. We're in the present. Really thinking about our future. How are you doing? I just took a fat gulp <laughs> out of my canned. I did pour it into a glass, but I'm drinking a canned Kahlua espresso martini. Would you endorse? Um, I love espresso martinis and obviously, um, you know, in these trying times yeah. to just like beat a dead horse by using that phrase for the thousandth time. Um, you know, we can't go out to our favorite clubs or favorite spots and get those cocktails. And personally, you know, I know you love the box wine, but I find it demoralizing <laughs> to drink box wine day in, day out. I need liquor mm-hmm. to function. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bottom shelf $4 rum that I've been drinking mixed with lemonade is really starting to feel like high school. Mm-hmm. So I do feel elevated. I do feel elevated by the espresso martini in a can. You know, it's not the fresh stuff. It's not like what I would get at Lolita's in Boston, but it's doing the trick because it's been so many moons since I've had an espresso martini. It warms my heart that your needs are being satisfied. You know, I I can't well, have not, this. Not all my needs. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't get it twisted. I have, I have tons of needs that are not being satisfied, but look, I can't afford to want things right now. Um, I really just have to. I have arguably less money than you. Yeah. And I still yearn. (laughs) Yearning is free. Desire (laughs) is free. Longing is free. It costs nothing to lay at wake at night thinking about what you don't have. But see, last night I laid awake thinking of all the things I don't have. And it just made me so sad I couldn't sleep. Whereas every other night where I just put on my sleep mask... Take a sip of that boxed wine, that demoralizing boxed wine, and just slip away. It was like a lot for me to like see you like not be able to sleep because I'm just so used to like the comfort of you just like hitting the pillow and knocking out immediately. Yeah. And me being the one with like the sleep issues and, and you being awake longer than me. Well, you weren't. I still was up longer <laughs> than you were. Um, I don't know. It just it felt wrong. Like it felt like finally we had turned the sad corner of quarantine where like you can no longer sleep. Right. But I will say, all things considered, we are having a great time. We watched two fantastic movies. We've been working out. Our bodies are looking tight. I actually gained weight. <laughs> um, I'm but I'm feeling tight. But I'm feeling stronger and more flexible, mm-hmm. even though my pants no longer fit. It's called having a fat ass, and <laughs> it's actually very desired. Yeah. So you're welcome. Um, I will say, just back on the sleep thing. I started taking these CBD melatonin capsules, yeah, CBDPM, because they sponsor Dax Shepard's podcast. And I heard an ad on his podcast and I was like, I want to try that. And so I bought it. And it has been really helping me. And I know you took one last night when you couldn't sleep. Well, I'm not convinced it helped me go to sleep. But when I woke up this morning, I felt like ass to the point that I had to sit on our couch and watch Freedom Riders. Yeah, but that was just because you didn't get enough sleep. You know, you have your your theories. I have mine. I'm trying to make an argument so that they'll sponsor us and you (laughs) just ruined it. It really helps me to take CBD PM. Um, And I know we're not Dax Shepard, but um, we are, you know, poor, hungry, and we can't sleep. So we'd love some help. 
Oh! Are you okay? I just got like a weird air bubble. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> Should we jump into recapping? This is the final episode of... This is the final... Well, the final episode of our podcast, yes. Recapping Zero Hour. We will be covering four Zero Hour episodes. Yes. We, we covered five on our last episode, so hopefully this will roll a little faster, but I highly doubt it. Um, Look, I have a lot to say because, again, it was it was a blast to watch. I mean, this is epic. Yeah. it's It actually is epic. I know that's an overused word, but I would say they it's, it's certainly trying to be epic. Correct. I think that that was probably a word on a mood board in the writer's room. Arguably the only word. Next to crucifix. A Nazi. Right. Yeah. And clock. Although there's like no fucking clocks in these four Ugh, episodes. I know. The clocks are fucking gone. Do you think it's that's a little why, bit sad. Do you think that's what made it better? Not having it be about clocks anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's that they replaced the clocks with um, better Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Um, you know the greatest clock of all. You could say the grandfather clock of who? Of, uh, redemption. Speaking you know? of the grandfather clock, did not win our would you rather poll. The pocket watch one. Yeah, we did those would you rathers on Instagram and people preferred pocket watch. I get it. I mean, the grandfather clock is a dated vibe. It's a dated <laughs> vibe and a pocket watch is more akin to our current lifestyles in which our, our watch is really just our cell phone. Right. Um, if you think about it like that. But uh, And on that note, episode 10, Escapement. Escapement? Yes. Look, I didn't name it. <laughs> is is escapement a word? I are you sure it's called escape? I'm. Oh, do you want to take a moment and look it up? Zero hour episode titles. If it's not escapement, I'm going to be so embarrassed. But that's literally. I mean, what this glass I of wine believe is for. you. I'm just confused because I don't think that escapement is a word. But also, I could be the idiot that doesn't know the word. You think of it that way. Strike, face, pendulum, chain, suspension, weight, suspension, winding, escapement. How do you feel? It must be a word and it must be a part of a clock. Okay, not to derail. But now you need to know what. An escapement is a mechanism in a clock or watch that alternately checks and releases the train by a fit, uh, why am I? I'm not. I'm Do you think never this means we can that. we can add like an educational tag to our podcast because we just read like one third of the definition for escapement? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so, episode ten opens with once again a little poem voiced over by White Vincent, <clears throat> who I like. Ha- oh, I can't say this out loud. What you have a crush on? By the end, I feel like I had a little bit of like a feeling for him. Oh my God. We're on completely different pages. Not a crush. Not like a sexual thing. We're going to get to him because I realized that every issue I have with this show comes down to White Vincent. When I was transcribing my notes, I don't know. I felt like a flutter, like of just warmth toward this man. Could it be the song that was playing? While I was transcribing the notes. (laughs) Um, Could it be listening to the sweet sounds of boys to men? I don't think we were listening to Boys to Men. Yesterday we were. I was enjoying. Oh, I was talking about just now. Oh. Anyway. So. Nine. Nine is the number of judgment. The measure of the soul. When secrets come to light, truth will take its toll. I love that you wrote down the whole poem. 
Well, I was inspired because you wrote down one of them and I was like, oh, maybe I should too. Um, but I don't feel better for it because this means nothing to me. So we open in 1938 and Corbin Stern is called to the Nazi principal's office. Um, it's <laughs> for a little slap on the wrist. Exactly. You Corbin. Know, it's an important meeting with a man that I described only as, quote, important Nazi. Yeah. Um, okay. So Corbin's nervous, um, and that's not that's not something I'm projecting onto the character. The show needs us to know that via a really prominent drop of sweat I've dripping no down his face. Zero memory of this. It's something that the show wants us to know. Um, and I mean, he's worried that his cover is blown, but in fact, he is being rewarded for his incredible loyalty. Um, <laughs> To the Third Reich. It does make you wonder what this supposed Nazi with a heart of gold is doing on his off hours to get rewarded. I will say it's a little bit... Well, exactly. Because (laughs) when he's not working with the Rosicrucians and rescuing sacred clocks, he must be rounding up Jews to be getting this reward. He's got to be doing something pretty terrible. Um, I am kind of fascinated by... It's assumed, you know, that Nazis are evil because they are. But this show doesn't go out of its way to condemn the Nazis. It really doesn't. They don't even really address to the degree that they should. Yeah. The fact that Hank is, you know, having this Nazi blood. They don't really address it. Like, he should be more upset about it. Corbin's reward is that he gets to join the Zero Project, the Zero Hour Project, and um, get to live forever which means he gets to do more fun experiments on living human people right yeah well he gets to be the experiment which at one point he was just doing the experiments now he gets to be the experiment so corbin is brought to a hospital and they take a bunch of his blood and the curtain opens and who is it but none other than original white vincent who i guess was german the entire time i I think the last time we saw him i thought he was like an English naval officer because he had a cuter outfit. But the English wouldn't be working with the Germans. You you cannot highlight how dumb I am. <laughs> no, you no, cannot no. do this to That's me. That's not what I meant. But, I, but, um, but... I assumed he was... He had... I thought he... It sounded like he had an English accent. I think that's what I thought. And another Rosicrucian. Yeah. And like, you know, it was the part of the secret anti-Nazi pro-Christ thing. Right, that, right. I promise I... You have don't have to explain been yourself. Been to school. Nobody's and, listening and, and to this took because they think we're smart. <laughs> Nobody's tuning into this podcast because they think we're educated. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a college degree, and you have a degree in film. Well, in that case, we should take each and every moment to highlight. Just <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I didn't say I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, anyway, so so Nazi White Vincent is there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's once again reiterated that Vincent is patient 352 and Corbin Hank is patient 353. Or vice versa. Vice versa, actually. Mm, sure. Hank is 352. Um, Vincent is 352. Which I think at one point we originally thought it was their clone numbers. But it's just like the it's sample. the number. They're the third hundred person. Of which Nazis' blood they're yeah. from. So, like, you know. Apparently, like, maybe 400, 500 Nazis had given their blood to this experiment. Yeah. And these were two of them. So in the present, Theo, um, 
who, if you don't remember, Beck's is estranged husband. Beck's husband um, is collecting bugs, and he orders. Oh, so we open up on the scene from the last episode, which is everyone surrounding the the coffin of of where they the thought the crate where the cross of yes. Christ was meant to be laid. Correct. So Theo collects these bugs, orders Vincent to take everyone out. Um, and he's like, look, I will deal with Hank and Layla and Beck. Um, at no point in the scene am I worried for anyone's safety. Um, this isn't a show brave enough to kill our lead. Correct. So Vincent and his crew go to like a car in the distance and Theo orders the trio, Hank, Layla and Beck into the coffin and he shoots in their direction. But it's like obvious that he's just like shooting yeah, at the he ground. He makes it look like he's executing them. But of course he's sparing them because he must secretly still love his wife. So afterwards, the gang regroups um, after almost possibly inciting, you know, the apocalypse, bringing about the end it of the world. It seems like they're okay now. Well, I wrote that Layla is straight up chilling. Um, she could not be more unbothered. You know, she has Despite Hank. Despite the fact that she was deranged with fear at the end of the last episode. Right, right. She has Hank. She has God. You know, she has her beauty. She doesn't have her credit cards because she broke them. Um, <laughs> but she has her accents. But, you know, she probably has other credit cards under another name. And I assume she has her health. But, yeah. who but knows? Just, just the relief of somehow the relief of the cross not being there was enough for her to relax because, oh, you know, Hank and the cross are not together in one place. Beck, on the other hand, is already plotting like a, a rescue mission for a man who does not want her. We've all been there, sis. Yeah. We have. We yeah. have. I get it. Look, Theo is on to bigger and better things. Like, wait, why am I now our Lord and Savior, D and Rogan on the challenge? Because D is obsessed with Rogan. Well, I was thinking about how I think he reciprocated her feelings, but the show they edited it to look like she was crazy. And look, I still think D is crazy. But I like. I don't girl. think she's crazy. I wouldn't go out here using that kind of verbiage. <laughs> um, but. I, you know, I just think I, I'm, it's bringing to mind this pattern of this longing, you know, for a man who won't commit to you. And I feel that Beck has this for her He's husband. just not into you. Yeah. On the boat, Theo is inspecting his bugs and White Vincent rolls in and, and he wants the tea. Um, not to be confused with the actual literal the tea. homoerotic tea <laughs> that you and I were seeing earlier. Yeah. But like the lukewarm, predictable tea because yeah. White Vincent knows that Theo... Is was not able to execute the three um, just because he, he looks sad. Like he just he doesn't have the guts. He doesn't look like someone who just killed. Right. So Vincent is trying to intimidate Theo, um, which in my opinion, I just think he would be far more successful if he took out his contacts. Like if he just intimidated people with his glossy, glossy foggy white demon eyes. Um, but like Layla, Theo is unbothered because at this point, Theo has the power, you know, Vincent, um, his time is over, you know, they, they got all they needed from Vincent. They have the cross. What is his purpose? They don't have the cross. They have the bugs. They have the bugs. The bugs that ate the cross. Correct. You're keeping up. So Hank arrives at headquarters in New York and learns that boss lady who we, learn in the final episode we finally figured out that her name is her name miss is miss lynch um she has his father she has dr galliston dr galliston i've just been calling him daddy hank i've been calling him dr g 
Dr. G. Yeah. Um, And y'all already know how this show works. So a flashback. It's 1963. We're in Albania and we are introduced to a young hunky doctor who I immediately recognize as young Dr. D, Hank's father. Um, Dr. G? Yes, Dr. G. Um, excuse me. Um, and I think this is excellent casting, if I do say so myself. I think it's arguably one of the show's greatest successes. Mm. Um, it's not saying much, but anyway, Dr. G is a genius. He's an American scientist who is given an incredible opportunity. Can you guess what it is? Well, you're going to have to wait. (laughs) In the present, Miss Lynch hands Dr. G his old files and is like, honey, it's time to complete your studies. We have arrived in God's final hours. Ooh. (laughs) So um, back on the boat, we get a really useless plot line um, regarding the crew. So when Theo was gathering the bugs, he put them in like a biohazard container. Yeah. So that, you know, they would be protected and and people would would handle them with care. Um, But now the entire crew is like, I don't want to be on a boat with like biohazardous material. Like I don't, I don't need to be getting poisoned out here. Um, So that's just the beginning of this, like, useless B-plot. So Hank arrives at the 41 Trust Building and sees that... Supposedly to rescue his father. Yeah, supposedly to rescue his father. But like Layla, like Theo, Dr. G is unbothered. We love the rule of thirds. He's like, fuck off, Hank. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, Dr. G is fine. Um, Some would would say that he's thriving. Um, But Hank knows that something isn't right. You know, Hank, Hank sees... Things. He sees beyond the surface level. You know, he is the editor-in-chief of Modern Skeptic. Um, and in an exchange with his father, he gets what I consider a very obvious clue, but it's supposed to be, like, coded. Um, but frankly, like, everyone on the show is so fucking stupid that it's like, yeah, like, of course, Miss Lynch and the rest they of them. They just, like, need to be spoon-fed, which yeah, I understand. Yeah. So Hank and Layla set off for his home, and they call Rachel and Aaron because they need a storyline this episode, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, look, I need you guys to find out what kind of bugs they took from the crate. Yeah. Hank is asking the two people who were not there to identify who didn't bugs. see the bugs. They did not see, yes. Yeah. Um, to identify the bugs. Which, but they are the ones doing the footwork for him, typically, well, so it makes sense. It's, it's just, once again, Aaron and Rachel having to go above and beyond. I hope they're getting overtime. I hope. Oh, I don't even think they're getting paid. I hope they're alternating <laughs> between None employee of, this is of the month magazine. <laughs> that is the craziest this part. This is about their all extracurricular. This. this is not like for work. Uh, anyway, so they go to Hank's house and they go to Doctor G's well, office, the family, home. the family home, and like he picks up a book based on the clue, and inside, cut into the pages, are a gun and a flip phone. And the flip phone only has one contact. The clue was that Hank's dad was like, you're always bothering me when I'm working. As a child, he used to come in to read books in my office when I was trying to work. And of course, Hank recognized, oh, he's telling me to look at his bookshelf. But he like was able to slightly get past Miss Lynch, who's, you know, demanding this work from Dr. Running a nonprofit or whatever the 41 Trust is supposed to be. So in this box book is a gun... And a flip phone. 
And a burner phone? Uh, not even a fun, like, razor. I guess there's no time to accessorize when the fate <sighs> no, of the no world. No time for, like, a little charm, one of those little right. cell phone charms, a little Hello Kitty handle. <laughs> so on the boat, Beck is leading um, a team of FBI agents. Once again, why she is given the chance to lead a team is beyond us. I can sub- suspend my, you know, my disbelief long enough to believe that she became an FBI <laughs> agent. It's a little bit hard for me to suspend it long enough to somehow believe that she's in charge of all the other agents. Right. That she is somehow a boss in the FBI and has gotten there in five years. But um, the team does not want to go on this boat. They're like, we need to quarantine. Um, because of the biohazard Because containers. of the biohazard containers. Um and during this entire exchange, once again, I just feel like this plotline is so useless. Like, I am just thinking about all of the amazing stories we could have gotten. You know, like, what makes Rachel and Aaron tick? You know, like, what's going on in Each their other. lives? I just feel That's like tickle. I would rather learn about, like, Rachel having, having like, a secret Groupon addiction than like, <laughs> than, like, seeing these FBI agents not want to get on this boat. So Hank and Layla arrive at a remote house and they meet his mom. So I guess the contact in his phone was his mom and she's like... In a safe house. Here's the Addy. In a remote area somewhere in New York State. And of course, we have to jump right into a flashback mm-hmm. led by by Mama G. Um, so she met Hank's father, Dr. G, in the 60s in Albania um, you know, it's a tale as old as time. He was working as a doctor doing cloning experiments and she was a nurse. It's a recipe for love, if I do say so myself. So Dr. G is struggling with a DNA code or something, um, but he is the only one who can solve this. The only one. And he gets snappy with Nurse G, who is not putting up with it. She's not about to get verbally abused. At her place of work. At her place of work by a doctor. Um, So she's like, why don't you actually see what your quote unquote failures look like? So she leads him downstairs and through a window into like a hospital room, he sees one of his failed experiments, which is a sad cloned child with white foggy eyes who has never known joy. Or, or the, love. Or the sun. Or, or love. touch. Or moisturizer. Um, and he is going to live his really sad, dry life out in this room. In and at this lab, at, as a lab rat. At this point, I did not assume it was White Vincent, did you? Yeah, I think I did, but I was confused. So this child's but, supposed to be White Vincent, but up until this point, the only quote-unquote failed clones they have alluded to have been white Vincent and like apparently his like what's wrong with him like he just has foggy eyes well I think, I think that the all the other ones were killed right like so he's the only survivor so finally they they verbalize something that we've known all this time it's that Dr. G was trying to create life in a lab and that these that Hank is in fact a clone but so what we he's learned, created life. He's successfully made clones. It's just that they're flawed. Like White Vincent, they have some kind of defect in their eyes, yeah. etc. But Hank is the first and only successful clone. Which is to say that he's a perfect, normal, healthy baby. In the present, Hank is um, really bummed to find out that he's a clone. 
He's also surprised. Yeah. Which really gets me. Like, what did you think? He's seen multiple people with his exact face. One of them was a Nazi in the 40s. The other was like a foggy-eyed lab rat. And yet he's surprised. My theory was kind of just that Anthony Edwards was having a bad day. Maybe he had a bad lunch. <laughs> and that's just kind of the... I think he's supposed to be surprised. But it's like, if you didn't know you were a clone, what did you think you were? Yeah. It's not like cloning is unheard of and absurd. You run a magazine. You're a modern scientist. So um, the rest of the flashback plays out and it's Dr. G kind of starting to feel guilty about his experiments. So he tells nurse G to fake baby's death, fake Hank's death. Yeah. And that they'll run away together. With the baby. Yeah. So at headquarters, Aaron and Rachel discover that there is one mention of a beetle in the Bible. And it's some story where like a beetle emerges from a timber. That's the entire scene. Um, back on the ship, we find out that the entire crew that was nervous about the biohazard has been suffocated. Yeah. But they were they were killed, but they were not killed by the biohazards. They were they were suffocated. So if you were on the edge of your seat with that plot. Turns line, out there's actually no biohazard. Um Oh, okay, so now it's about to get real. I feel like this is the point where the show starts to pop off. Finally. Theo and Vincent arrive at a really cool lab with neon purple lighting. Um, That's what it takes for us. Exactly. <laughs> bright lights and bright colors. <laughs> so Miss Lynch, it, like me, is done with Vincent. You know, she's like, we don't need you anymore. Like, here's some money. Go live out your life literally anywhere else. But he doesn't want the money. He wants the truth. He wants answers. Exactly. What's wrong with him? Who is and he? And like a boss bitch, Miss Lynch is like, you want the truth? You're a failed experiment, baby. Boom. And at this point, it's once again, like, why is he surprised? Why was Hank surprised? Why is anyone surprised? But I just feel like if I met White Vincent, I would assume that he was a failed experiment. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would assume that, but after seeing yourself, your own face throughout time, you know, if you if you're not mystical, if you don't believe in reincarnation, which I don't even I with if you follow reincarnation, you don't have the same face every time you're reincarnated. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um the the only logical conclusion to come to is that you're a clone. I don't know where else you would go. There's a spider. Should we just let it be? Yeah. Okay. At this point, the bomb finally drops. Because up until this point, it's like, yeah, I, I guess we're trying to, we're waiting for them to finally bring about the apocalypse. Well, admit that they're cloning. Yeah. And it's like, okay, now that they've admitted that, what's it for? Yeah. You know, it wasn't just random experiments. In this moment, we find out the true purpose of the Zero Hour Project. And that is by finding the crate with yeah. the beetles, yeah. they are able to genetically open the beetles some way, yeah. extract the timber that was digested, look deeper, and find pieces of Jesus Christ's DNA since he died on the cross. He bled on the cross. Piece it together. And they ate the cross. And, you know, clone Jesus Christ himself. 
We have been, you know, <laughs> criticizing everybody else for not catching on to what's going on. But Roberto and I fucking slack jawed. Like, it, it, we were surprised. We were like, oh, they're trying. Like, we did not realize that, that this was all leading to them trying to clone Jesus. Like, that's just not where our minds went. And I'm honestly embarrassed that we didn't figure it out and that we were so taken by this twist. Yeah. So they didn't even want the wooden cross this whole time. All they needed was the bugs because the bugs ate the cross, consumed the blood of Christ, and then froze in the below zero temperatures, preserving them and preserving what was in their stomachs so that this lab could just extract the blood of Christ out of these beetles. It sounds a little blasphemous if you ask me, but okay. Yeah. So that bomb is dropped. Um, And meanwhile, at the undisclosed location that Hank and Layla met his mom at, Layla could not give a shit about Dr. G. She is like, Hank, honey, you're alive. The cross is gone. Who cares? I think that you and I should go on the run and live out the rest of our lives. You know, let's get back to us. Let's go to Fiji. Let's get back to sleeping in on the, in the morning. You know, <laughs> let's get back to playing games at the library. Yeah. You know, um, and he's considering it. In the lab, Vincent comes face to face with Dr. Galliston and he's enraged. Um, and at this point, now he knows the truth. Yeah. At this point, we learn that in the 60s, Dr. and Nurse G escaped with baby Hank, but they also took young white Vincent and, and he's the sad dehydrated child. Um, and they were going to start a family. You know, Hank and Vincent were going to be brothers. Um, but Dr. Galliston thought that Vincent. Vincent's eyes would bring too much attention. So they dropped his ass at the nearest orphanage. He was afraid that the Zero Hour Project would track the child using security cameras. I think just word of mouth. Like, oh my God. Yeah. That child was scary. His glassy eyes. Yeah. But somehow they would never find him at an orphanage, question mark? Well, he is more concerned with saving the the perfect clone. Yeah. So in the present, Hank agrees to run away with Layla, but, you know, he he's not done looking for his father. So he checks out one, like, final biohazardous building connected to the 41 Trust. Um, and while he's in the parking lot, he begins leaving Layla a voicemail. I don't recall it, what he was saying. He's suggesting on the voicemail that he knows what's going on and he knows what his dad was trying to tell him and he knows how, how to find his dad. Because his dad has now disappeared with the 41 Trust. And of course, we know that his dad is at this lab cloning Christ, but Hank doesn't know that. What a sentence. But somehow, somehow him in this parking lot of this 41 Trust building, he has an epiphany and he realizes that he knows how to find his dad. And out of fucking nowhere, his parked car is rammed. T-boned. T-boned with a sleek black SUV driven by none other than white white Vincent. I would say... That's the cliffhanger of this episode. I'm a fan of ending an episode on a car crash. I think it's tried and true. This is not the first car crash in this show. Um, But I think it will be the last. But do you know what car crash was far more effective for me? What? Which one? Kyle's 
um, spontaneous death in season two of Smash. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Why would you bring that up right now? Roberto and I have been watching Smash and it's everything and I don't even want to hear one negative word about it. It's a perfect show besides <laughs> every plot point and every character and every piece of writing that goes into it. Besides all of that, if you can look beyond the storylines, you know, the... Bad covers. The apologizing for sexual harassment, the the male characters that are so egregious and yet somehow still beloved. If you look past all of that, you'll see Jeremy Jordan is in it. Period. And sometimes that's all you need for a little bit of joy and a little bit of something, something. And look, I've said it once and I'll say it again. I have been in this apartment too goddamn long (laughs) and I am getting stir crazy. And if I don't touch some man meat in the next 30 days, I'm going to, okay, I have to stop. I have to stop. Are you sure? I'm sweaty. (laughs) I'm overwhelmed. It's... Thinking about White Vincent. No. <laughs> Don't put those kinds of words in my mouth. Thinking about Jeremy Jordan. Okay. Ooh, it's warm in here. Let's jump into episode 11. Hands. This is an easy one. We know what a hand of a clock is. No Google needed for this. TikTok. Um, I didn't write down the entire poem that this episode opens on because um, as I'm writing down one line of the poem, the second line is being stated and I'm not keeping up. <laughs> I can only do so many things at once with my worm brain. Um, but of course it opens with a poem. 10 is the number of completion. That was the only part that I wrote down, but it's kind of all you need to know. Some of us could use a little completion right about now. Wink. But um, that's not what this episode's about. So, well, actually it, it does have a little It bit took of- me so long. I was like, what is she talking about? <laughs> I got it though. the episode opens with a flashback we can't fucking get enough this one is not sepia toned because there's just no consistency with the editing and the stylization of this show they also ditched the whole shaky cam thing that they were doing in the last clump of episodes different directors you know different strokes the episode opens on hank and layla's first ever meeting they are outside at a, a tour of some kind of museum and they're seeing the locust clock if you remember, the locust clock was mentioned in a previous episode. I'm and pretty sure I bashed it. For being ugly. But Correct. it's a real clock made by a real artist. So Sorry. Um, they're in England, and the year is 2008. It's an amazing year. Um, and Hank is wearing a fedora, which I will say is some of the best costume design that this show has seen. It is so fitting with his character. He is a stick-in-the-mud debunker who is the editor of a magazine called Modern Skeptic. The only man who should wear a fedora is Jason Mraz, and that's period. <laughs> no, but Hank wearing a fedora is so perfectly fitting with his character. And also, you know, he's being flirty and he wants to cover up the, you know, the receding hairline, I understand. Um, so him and Layla meet. She's, of course, doing her American accent. We know that she's planted there by the shepherds to meet him. And they're flirty and they're connecting. And this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful relationship for them. Present day, Hank is injured and on a stretcher because, of course, he's just been T-boned. Despite just stating the fact that he got hit by a car, I really had that moment. I was like, what? He's injured? What do you mean? Look, he could be dead, but he's not. And it looks like he's in a hospital, but we realize that he's not in the hospital. He is in a lab belonging to the 41 Trust. And of course, we know that the 41 Trust is a front for the quote-unquote great pirates who are led by Miss Lynch and are trying to bring about the end of the world by cloning Jesus Christ. 
Layla somehow knows that, well, she knows that Hank was in an accident because he was leaving her a voicemail as he was hit by the car. So she hears the accident. And then we cut to the 41 Trust Lab. And Lynch, Miss Lynch, is telling Dr. Galliston, Hank's father, that somewhere inside your son lies the map to cloning. So now we have the answer that we've finally been looking for. Why is it that supposedly Hank and the cross cannot be together and that them being together brings about the end of the world? Of course, that's because Hank is the only successful clone in existence and the cross contained the DNA of Christ. So when you bring them together, that's when you're able to make a proper clone of Jesus Christ bringing about the end of the world. I've been waiting for these answers for 11 episodes <laughs> and I'm satisfied with this. At least it tracks logically. Okay. I get it now. It's not so mystical. It's not like the cross and it's not like this Harry Potter, you know, neither can live while the other survives thing. It's very much like science, you know, something in Hank's genetic code is going to explain why he was able to be cloned properly. Um, so they're running tests on Hank. And um, his dad finally gets a moment alone with him and admits to Hank that he has been trying to stall the 41 Trust this whole time because he knew that they were after Hank ultimately. And, you know, one of the, the, the subplots of the last episode, which we didn't really touch on, is that somehow Lynch didn't know that Hank was the clone. That well, because Dr. G faked the baby's death. Because he faked the baby's death. And then so ran away. The At the end, she realizes that Hank but my thing is, is the clone because she sees him and sees his face, right? And sees that he that has I, the face. Has a cloned face. Yeah. But my thing, I guess, never mind. I just solved my own question. Hank, Hank's dad knew that they were after Hank the whole time, obviously. Um, and he was trying to protect Hank. And that's why he was hiding from the 41 Trust. But now it's too late and they have Hank. So now his dad has to find a way to stall until they can plan an escape. I guess, sorry, back to my question. What is like, how did the shepherds, who themselves did not have any part in these experiments, know about Hank? How did they figure out who Hank was? Before the 41 Trust, who has footage and records we, of... We never get that answer. There's yeah. no explanation. Well, I think... Yeah, there's no explanation as to why the shepherds somehow were able to track down the, the cloned child before the 41 Trust was. It doesn't make sense, but right. it doesn't need to make sense. Um, so White Vincent, you know, comes to Hank, who's on a stretcher, having surgery done on him, and he catches Hank up on what's going on. He lets him know... Hey, brother, you know, we were both cloned from these two Nazis who were secretly Rosicrucians who were protecting these clocks. We were both cloned from them in the same lab run by the Zero Hour Project, which is the 41 Trust. It's all the same thing. Um, the 41 Trust wants a sample of Hank's blood and they want a tissue sample and they want to take a peek inside his body. And of course, what we understand is that once they get the answers and the blood that they need, they will kill Hank, um, which is really sad and tough to hear as someone who's, you know, been by Hank's side for this whole show and really rooting for him, despite the fact that he's a little bit. You've been rooting for Hank? 
Um, have I ever suggested that I wasn't rooting for Hank? I never said I wished he was dead. <laughs> I wish they would put someone else on camera now and again, but like, I don't have a problem with him. I don't think we could be friends. I think I would find him very annoying. For me, this episode really just highlighted how much I had grown to really adore Layla. She became a, a standout character for me in this episode, I think. I feel like in the last couple episodes when we find we kind of found out that she was this double agent. I mean, she's always been the I most capable. One agent, not a double agent. The most capable character. And you, I think we, like, briefly talked about it, I think, while watching the show. But you... you I, I think that Layla's the most interesting character. You mentioned that you think White Vincent is. But for me, I think it's just that her internal conflict is so... Yeah, like her love of Hank and her faith make her decision-making really unpredictable for me. It's Whereas White Vincent also- is always like, I'm just going to kill for my own selfish gain. Whereas Layla, I'm like, ooh, girl, are you going to go with the man? Or the man. I always appreciate that 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 White Vincent is after his own gain. And I feel like with Layla, I'm just always confused. I don't think that we see enough of like why she has the faith that she has and why she was somehow weak and gullible enough to fall for the manipulations of the shepherds who turned her into a criminal in the name of God. Yeah. Like I, I just I I never fully understood her. And I think that that's why I don't find her as interesting. But of course, you know, we, we cut to Layla and Rachel and Rachel doesn't trust Layla. Rachel feels betrayed by Layla, but she realizes now that this whole time, you know, Layla, her job was to protect Hank from what is currently happening from him getting found out by the 41 trust and used for this cloning. Layla didn't know about the cloning. She didn't even really know that this was about cloning Jesus Christ. She just knew that it was her job to protect Hank. Then we see a little flashback. And this is juicy. And this is about Layla. Um, And this was actually probably one of my favorite scenes with her. It is two years ago. Two years before the events of the series. She's at this point married to Hank. She's succeeded in her mission of getting close to him. um, Which has been hard for her. She didn't want to fall in love with him, but she did. And they got married. Tale as old as time. But it was for a greater cause. It was for the cause of, you know, the shepherds and of keeping the end of the world from, from coming to pass. Um, so we see her in a field with a shepherd, with a priest, a Rosicrucian shepherd priest. And he reminds Layla that if the pirates, the 41 Trust, ever find Hank, it would be her duty to kill him. Because it is better that he die than provide the 41 trust with what they need. Which, again, makes you think, like, does Layla know then what the end game is? It's never clear to me whether or not she knows the end game. I don't think she knows about it being about cloning. But I think she's smart enough to realize that there's cloning involved because she knows that Hank has the same face as all these other people who have existed before him. But, um... You know, we we know that she loves Hank. The shepherds don't know that she loves him. They just know that she's good at her job. She doesn't want to kill him. Um, but she needs to prove her loyalty to the shepherds and her willingness to do what has to be done. So they give her a gun and they have her pointed at a baby lamb, a little oh, sweet lamb. So cute. I know baby lamb is an oxymoron, but such a cute, cute lamb. I, I would love 
to hold a lamb or a baby goat right now. I've been thinking a lot about baby goats and lambs. I know you have. I know you have. They're just so cute. And I love to look at little videos of them on Instagram. When goats go up in trees or goat yoga, look it up. As if I don't know about goat yoga. Look, I don't fucking know everything you do. (laughs) You might have a secret life. You're awake two hours before me every day. I don't know what you're up to. Two? (laughs) (laughs) Three, four. Um... So they force her to shoot this lamb to prove her loyalty, and she does it. But gratefully, I don't know why, maybe just to prove that the shepherds aren't straight at the evil, or maybe just to protect our eyes, the gun is not actually loaded. So she just needed to prove that she was willing to do it, but the lamb doesn't actually die. Also, we have this this metaphor of Hank as the lamb, as the innocent lamb. But of course, you know, those of us with a biblical knowledge know, know of Christ as the lamb of God and this lamb metaphor being used, you know, the lamb to the slaughter. Um, so the parallels between Christ and Hank are brought into focus. To what purpose? To what end? I don't know. But there's a metaphor there. There's layers there that I beg you to unpack. You know, I challenge you to unpack. But you won't. No. So the gang, which of course is Rachel and Aaron and Beck and Layla, they somehow are able to like hack into Hank's phone and learn that he took a 15 minute flight over water. Um, I love that when White Vincent crashed into him, he didn't take the time to discard of Hank's phone. Well, it was the magazine. No, that's a different part. First, they find out, they can tell that Hank has taken a 15-minute flight over water based on the sounds of the helicopter that they can hear by hacking into his phone. Oh, well, it's the voicemail. It's, like, still... Oh, the voicemail is still going? Yeah. Like, it's accidentally the voicemail is... Which, first of all, doesn't make any sense because you cannot leave a 15-minute voicemail. (laughs) Like, no, it's not correct logically, but it is what happened. And then they realize as they're looking around at the office that one of the magazine covers, one of the modern skeptics magazines is missing from the wall. It's not on display. So they go back through a picture of the office and realize that the cover that's missing is the Plum Island cover. And they know exactly where Plum Island is. And it's a 15 minute flight over water to get to Plum Island. Plum Island happened to be where Operation Paperclip took place which had some kind of association with Nazis and was definitely some kind of something with cloning and also some kind of study of disease carrying bugs. So everything is adding up. So then they realize that it must have been what Hank was trying to tell her on the phone, that he had realized that his father was on Plum Island and that's why he took the Plum Island magazine cover off the wall. So the gang decide to head head to Plum Island to rescue Hank. Dr. Galliston tells White Vincent that the mutations that he experienced, the flaws that he has by being, you know, a unsuccessful clone are twofold. One is his eyes, which we know are gray. It's unclear whether his eyes just look weird or if he also has vision issues. Maybe he's colorblind. We don't really know. He can see fine, but there's just something wrong with his eyes. And in addition, there's also an overactive gland that makes his aggression more intense than it is in a normal person. So that explains why he turned to a life of terror and bombing airplanes and mass murder. It's all because he 
I just feel like faulty clone. I just feel like with, you know, a good therapist and a good diet, he probably would have been fine. Well, it's just funny that, you know, he's the clone of a Nazi, (laughs) but that's not enough to explain why he's evil and violent. He has to also be, you know, somehow genetically compromised. Beck decides that they need to prep an FBI team before they go to Plum Island because they're doing an extraction. They're doing a rescue mission and they can't just go as renegades. You know, she's an FBI agent. She'll never let us fucking forget it. So she needs to prep a team. But Layla's like, we can't wait that long. We have to go now. And Beck is like, no, you're going to do what I say because I'm in the FBI. But it's like, who's more capable, you know? Well, (laughs) we'll fucking see out when out play out last. So Beck is prepping the FBI team because, of course, she wants to rescue her friend Hank, but also her long lost lover, Theo. Layla goes renegade and disappears. And we see her in Connecticut or whatever buy a $1,500 speedboat so that she can go after Hank herself. And, you know, then it brings to mind the scene with the lamb. Is she going to Plum Island to rescue Hank or is she going to Plum Island to kill him? Again, in this moment, in this episode, Layla just ascends as the more interesting dynamic lead for me and honestly i mean continue we'll talk about it when we get to it (laughs) so daddy hank dr gallus stone is doing surgery on hank to extract tissue now this part was a little bit muddy and confusing to me basically he tells white vincent that you know he knows how to how to get this tissue sample but he won't do it unless white vincent promises to help him and hank escape so he'll give him the tissue sample but then they have to go yeah and white vincent is like why would i do that and it's an ultimatum because at this point dr g has surgically opened hank and if he does not complete the procedure hank will die yeah so he's using hank's life as part of the bargaining tool but why vincent is like why do i i don't give a fuck about this tissue sample so like why would i (laughs) then why are you here for his own selfish gain so then um dr gallus adapts the ante and he says to white you know i can fix you i can cure you i'm the doctor that made you And, you know, it is my biggest regret that I left you at that orphanage and I didn't take you with me. That was wrong. Um, And I know you hate me for it, but I can fix you. I can cure your defect. So this is this is convincing to White Vincent. And we realize at this point that his sole motivation this whole time has been this rage because of all this bullying and all of this hatred that he endured because of his eyes and his desperation is to be cured and to be whole and to be healthy. He wants to be, you know, quote unquote normal and have the life that he normal was Normal people aren't terrorists. Well, exactly. And he doesn't want to be a terrorist anymore. <laughs> so we get a little scene, which I find completely and utterly useless. I thought it was leading to something, but it was leading to nothing. Um, Theo is teaching the haunted child. <laughs> I, if, you, if you remember the haunted child, this is the little boy that was raised by Lynch, who has no tongue, who kind of does her bidding and, and, and delivers secret codes and was White Vincent's handler when he was working for her, was this little boy. And Theo's teaching him how to draw. And as he's teaching this child how to draw, um, a man comes in with Hank's tissue sample. 
and delivers it to Theo. So this is it. This is the piece of the puzzle that they need to clone Christ. And all this time we're like, what is this child about to draw? You know, like Like, a a locust? I was so ready for this child to like draw some kind of like prophetic image, um, but we never see what the child drew. So it's apparently meaningless. Um, Maybe it was just to show a moment of tenderness with Theo. Maybe it was to let us know that Theo draws because we get to see his drawings later, but it was a missed opportunity in my opinion. So simultaneously to this happening, Layla breaks into the lab. And as she's, you know, somehow undetected in this lab, bumping around, but somehow not running into anyone, Lynch comes to supposedly thank Hank for the tissue sample that he's provided. She tells him that, you know, she's trying to develop the ultimate cure, a clean slate. She's trying to deliver a clean slate unto this world through her science. And Hank, who is strapped to a hospital bed and still like semi-bleeding from his wound, like he's just been patched up, he tells her that she will fail at her mission and that she's just another nutcase causing pain in Jesus's name, which I thought was powerful coming from Hank. And this gets her really mad. She is very unhinged and easily upset. Kind of makes you think that she has like a gland making her overly aggressive, but I think she's just got her own. I mean, at this point, nothing is off the table. If they were to reveal that Lynch was also a clone, like nothing would surprise us at this point, except some things do. Um, And she just gets so rageful and unhinged. And she says to Hank that she will deliver this world the fire it deserves. So beautiful. <laughs> Daddy Hank is, you know, Dr. Gallison is going to cure White Vincent now. Um, he tells White Vincent that he's going to do experimental gene therapy. Um, and it is going to hurt, but he's going to inject a syringe of something or other into White Vincent's eyes. So he does it. And at first, White is like his vision goes foggy and he's like, oh, it's not working. And White Vincent is, I mean, and, and Dr. Gallison is like, just wait the longer you wait, like the pigment will come and you'll have like proper irises. Like this is going to work, but now you have to hold up your end of the bargain and help us escape. And of course, white Vincent had no intention of helping them escape. Um, that just wasn't what he was planning. He was only after his own cure. Um, he's not trying to do anybody any favors and he has to wait and see if this cure is actually going to work. So Hank, you know, tries to help himself out. And he is able to get a scalpel and cut himself loose and get out of his hospital bed and put his clothes on and escape through the building. You know, he's going up and down stairs. He's it's another moment because he has to get out of his nightgown and into his pedestrian clothing that I was like, Anthony. This bod, he's someone's, secret buff. someone's doing their he's, morning yoga. He's secret buff. And it's like this whole time they couldn't get us like a crop top. Like, <laughs> he has to wear sweaters and like corduroy. And it's just sad what they put him in. Elbow patches. <clears throat> he has abs. So he's trying to escape, but he's weak. And he's like cr- clutching onto the rails. It's of like, the get staircase. it together. <laughs> um... And there's a a guard going after him because White Vincent tells a guard, Hank is trying to escape, go find him. But gratefully for Hank, Layla finds him first. Fate or God. 
But is it grateful for Hank? I'm not quite sure. Um, at the same time, the FBI arrive on a helicopter. Five hours late. Yeah. They, they arrive, not only the FBI, but also Aaron and Rachel, who somehow the FBI just allows to come along on missions. Like, the FBI is just cool with these two journalists for Modern Skeptic, if you can call them journalists. Exactly. For Modern Skeptics magazine to, like, come on rescue missions with the FBI. It just doesn't really make sense. Um, I mean, at this point, I trust both Aaron and Rachel to lead an FBI strike team more than I do Beck. At this point, I mean, literally from episode one, this woman did not show any promise in (laughs) in her career choice. So... You know, once again, we're disappointed to see that Beck is somehow in charge uh, of this entire task force. And they, you know, they descend upon the lab, but the lab is protected by guards and the guards won't let them in. And they're like, well, do you have a warrant? And they're like, we have probable cause and a bunch of guns. So let us in. Lovely. Great reflection on the American government, which continues to, you know, be great for all of us. Um, But... Somehow, you know, they just, they use force and they break in and, and Beck leads the charge through the, through the lab. And we see that, um, Lynch is in the lab with Theo and Theo with the tissue sample is getting, extracting the information to build this full DNA sample of Christ. And he's almost there, but it could take longer, but they have to go because the FBI is there and Lynch is rushing him. And he's like, look, like I have to take as much time as I have to take on this. Do you or do you not want a perfect clone of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And look, she wants it and she wants it bad. So and then we see, you know, other of the 41 trust henchmen, you know, shredding documents and, you know, destroying evidence as the FBI arrives Layla and Hank are, of course, on the run through this building, and they lock themselves into a greenhouse um, to hide from White Vincent, who's after them. And in this greenhouse is, like, a giant tree under, like, a giant domed glass ceiling. And there's locusts in there also. There's no purpose. We They don't explain why there's a bunch of locusts here, but Layla sees them, and it is a sign to her. She is really struck by these locusts and she feels that they are there as a sign from God telling her that she has to do what she has to do. Now, at this point, I'm not sure if she knows that they've already gotten Hank's tissue sample, because if she knew that, you know, it would be too late for her to do what she needs to do. But she holds Hank at gunpoint. So this is where I left off earlier. In your mind? In my mind. Well, I was saying, like, we'll get to it when we get here. But because, for me, Layla has ascended as just the more interesting, more capable, more dynamic lead. Yeah. I had a secret hope that this show would be brave enough to just kill off Hank at this moment, you know? And let, make it about Layla. Let Layla ascend she can, she single-handedly, she can go and probably take down the 41 trust. She doesn't need Beck slowing her down. Mm. And, you know, it's like Rachel already sees her as an abandoned mother figure. And I just don't, I just personally don't see Layla as quite as capable as you do. I think that she would end up getting caught up in 
the religiosity of it all and not be able to, you know, take Well, I just think actions. that between the two characters, between the character of Hank and between the character of Layla, who do I want to see on my screen more? Well, the woman. <laughs> so she holds Hank at gunpoint, and this is intense for her because, you know, 15 minutes ago, she was ready to run away with Hank. And she was ready to betray the shepherds for Hank because, of, you know, she already rescued him and saved his life once. But now, as she's kind of catching on to why the 41 Trust wanted Hank and what he can offer them. And, you know, she's seeing these locusts and she's feeling like it's going to storm outside. And she's been through so much and she just feels that this is a sign from God that she needs to kill Hank. And Hank is trying to convince her, no, you know, God would never command you to kill and, you know, we love each other and we can run away together and don't do this. But she's like b- really about to do it. And you can see that it's hurting her. But look, she was going to shoot that lamb. She's not afraid to get her hands dirty. And the lamb is much cuter. <laughs> but does the, ha- the lamb have abs? <laughs> so just as she's pulling the trigger to shoot Hank, Vincent busts into the room. He bursts into the greenhouse. And he fires his gun to save his brother. And he shoots Layla. And Layla falls. It was tragic. And Layla's gun. Heartbreaking. Layla's gun, you know, shoots, fires into the ceiling and shatters the ceiling. Um, And we just see locusts flying around and, and shattered glass. And it's very dramatic. And Layla lies on the ground dead. Supposedly, but yes, quite literally. Um, Supposedly, but quite literally. Yeah, well, because we actually don't find out she's dead until like two scenes later, but like we just saw her get shot. So we know what's going on. Theo, Lynch, and the haunted child, the child, they escape together with, you know, some of the other 41 trust henchmen. And they have the code, the genetic code. The last piece of the puzzle of our lord and savior and they escape with it beck is of course searching the lab with her fbi people and she comes across theo's journal and in his journal is a beautiful photorealistic pencil drawing of her (gasps) he still loves her do you know what i realized i think in episode like two when we get to meet more when we get to really meet Beck and Rachel visits her in her apartment, it's like an art artist studio yeah. with like a bunch of paintings. Because her husband was an artist. Well, I just feel like initially they were like, yeah, Theo's an artist. But, who then, died. Later, but then later realize, they're like, oh, we, we need to give biologist. He's a scientist, a biologist, but he was also a great artist. And his paintings were quite beautiful because of course, later they established him as a biologist. I forgot that he was. It just feels like an afterthought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, you can be two things at once. Of course. And a loss. I'm sure there are many biologists who are also artists. This man seems brilliant and a total catch. And I understand why she's missed him all these years. Um, I'd be ruined. And it's, it's sort of understood to us that he's a victim of the 41 trust that they have him sort of brainwashed and under their control and that they abducted him and forced him to do this work. And he's been with them now for five years, you know, trying to figure out this whole cloning thing because he's a bug expert and they knew there was going to be bugs or whatever. So white Vincent escapes as well, but as his way, you know, on his way out, as he's escaping, he's able to nab Rachel, who gets her shine 
in the next episode, which I love for her. Yeah. Finally, after just being used and abused and not getting paid overtime for the last 11 episodes. But White Vincent takes her hostage and they escape on a helicopter with Theo Lynch and the child. Where are they going? We don't know yet. And they have Rachel with them, which is even worse. And then the the episode ends with a flashback as it began. It began with Hank and Layla's first meeting and now it ends with his proposal to Layla. And in this moment, he feels that Layla, you know, tried to warn him when he proposed that she somehow wanted him to know the truth, but she wasn't able to really tell him. And we just see him propose to her and her being kind of hesitant to accept and bursting into tears and being like, I can't. And then Hank having to essentially convince her to marry him. It's a moment where Hank kind of finally accepts the fact that Layla truly loved him. Yeah. And then um, immediately the forgets that, about her in the following episodes. And never mentions her in a single time. Correct. Again. And also doesn't really seem pressed about the fact that White Vincent is the one that killed her. No. That doesn't come up at any point in the next few episodes. Um, what, you know, what matters is that she's dead. Layla is... She has died a martyr. She's died for her beliefs. She's died for her dedication. Look, had it gotten a second season, had I cared, I may have petitioned to clone Layla. Give me a clone Layla. Bring her back. She was a fine actor. As a baby? I guess. <laughs> Something's not clicking for you. Okay? <laughs> Clones don't come out as adults. <laughs> but you wanted maybe Rachel to carry the baby of cloned Layla. <laughs> like that's how it ends with like Aaron and Rachel carrying like a cloned Layla and a cloned Hank within themselves. I don't need Hank. <laughs> well, I said what I said. And that is the end of episode 11, giving us only two episodes left, but a lot is about to go down. The climactic conclusion of zero Thank you to everyone who has taken the time to listen to Abby and I drone on about absolute nonsense. Make sure okay, to... That's really negative. <laughs> it's really unnecessary to talk about us that you're way. Right, you're right. You're right. To all our listeners out there, no matter what platform you are listening to us on, please take a moment to head on over to iTunes. Give us that review. Give us those stars. We would really appreciate it. And we also want to take a moment to give a shout out to friends of the pod, friends in real life, Anya and Alex. They have just launched a really hilarious podcast called The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. Um, Each installment, they are taking a look at a B-horror. And not only are they really smart, really funny, um, but they're also just cultivating an essential watch list, in my opinion. You know, Taurus Trap is now one of my favorites, so um, I can speak for both Abby and I when I say that. Can you? <laughs> um, no, I'll pipe in. I'll, I'll, I'll pipe up. Is that, is that a phrase? Um, it really feels like a sister podcast. It Girls does. Who Cried Be Horror. Anya and Alex, we endorse 100%. They're not paying us to make this statement. We're not paying them to endorse us. It's mutual love, appreciation, respect, fanhood, stanhood. <laughs> so please click on over to the Girls Who Cried Be Horror on Apple Pods, Spotify, or wherever you listen to and Instagram. this podcast. You can also find that one.
This shit like straight up has me out of breath. Has me exhausted. We're recording, right? Yeah. Okay, just make sure. Okay, chew and swallow your chips ahoy. The chewy kind. I would love, you know, to take a poll on preferences between the classic chips ahoy and the chewy chips ahoy. The next would you rather? But I know that people prefer the chewies. Yeah. Um, I just simply don't. I prefer the classic. I think the chewy is too doughy. I think it has a very false doughy flavor. The consistency is uncomfortable for me. It's not It's not a consistency that I can honestly say I enjoy as greatly as I enjoy a crunchy cookie. Um, so it's just a little something that I want you guys to know about me. That I love about you is the time, the emotional energy that you dedicate to having really strong opinions about things like chips ahoy i mean it's not a strong opinion it's a flavor preference you know i didn't have to work toward having that opinion i take a bite out of a chips ahoy and i take a bite out of a chewy chips ahoy and i know which one i preferred interesting can you get closer i just want to see these waves we get hello hello i've been i think i was talking at a lower volume recently okay i see see the wave i'm back you're you're being recorded shall we jump into episode 12 episode 12 titled ratchet which at first I was like, yeah, at first I was like, is, are we like, excuse me, (laughs) alluding to like, I thought they were trying to make like a, a one flew over the cuckoo's nest reference, like nurse ratchet, but it's spelled differently. And then I was like, okay, clock. Or when you ratchet something up. Yeah. I I guess they're referring to the tool, but anyway, before the episode even began, I was rocked by the previously I'm sorry. Did I say man meat in the previous portion that we recorded or man flesh? Man and flesh i mean you were talking about being thirsty like, like i'm sorry it just physically. came back to me like a hot flash of like what did i say i mean would man meat be the most i think man meat and man flesh are two phrases that i would that i don't personally and have said no well yes but i i'm not com- I, i'm not happy to have said them I'm not proud of my work here i'm sorry anyway but what were you saying? well speaking of man flesh that's yeah. what i'm trying to get at right was really excited because in the previously on, they they cut to Mr. Shepherd Assassin himself, discount Os- Oscar Isaac. Um, and I was tingling. I was so excited. But he um, died in that episode, didn't he? No. He shot Meryl Streep Jr. Oh, and then he just and then he just walked away. He just pieces out. Yeah. As you guys may remember, I was personally attracted to him, um, even though, like, the more I look at him, the more he looks like a thumb. But <laughs> once again, look, we're in quarantine. Look, not a lot of people are going to turn up their nose at a thumb-looking man. Exactly. They're actually very wildly popular. <laughs> so we dive in. <clears throat> Eleven. Eleven is the number of birth. The fruit of a mother's womb whose child brings impending doom what well i it references the episode but my thing is like 11 is the number of birth am i missing something dm us at dearly departed <laughs> the pod on instagram if you know the lore behind 11 being the number of birth so we open somewhere in asia that's literally that's the, literally what they say literally what they say somewhere, somewhere in the very large continent of asia somewhere in asia in 1452 there is um a pack of what to me registers as white men um speaking 
of foreign language of sorts. Um, and they're all carrying tree branches on their back. And I think it's supposed to look really taxing. Like they're all really struggling. But um, the branches were not that big. Well, that's the thing. I wasn't impressed. I mean, I guess they're climbing a mountain, but I just feel like They do a, harder stuff on the challenge. Exactly. A, in the words of Master Nike trainer Kirsty, like – you are never going to regret showing up for your body. And B, in the words of Nike master Alex Silverfagen, like do it with a smile. It makes it easier. You <laughs> Roberto know? and I have been learning so much about ourselves and our bodies from the Nike training app. This is not sponsored. We just kind of love that app. Yeah. I Ever since I started talking about the Nike training app, I've been getting advertisements for the Nike store app yeah and they're doing a lot of cute stuff this year athleisure is just like too expensive for me to buy into i mean it's too expensive for you to buy yeah period and same but they're doing i just i, I downloaded yeah <laughs> that's what i was getting at <laughs> i can't buy anything um but i i greatly admire some of the styles they're doing this year so these feeble men are climbing up a mountain somewhere in asia in 1452 and their leader, um, who I could only tell was their leader because he had like a really fierce fur-lined collar yeah. um, and he wasn't carrying branches. So I figured yeah. he was important. But he says that this journey will bring salvation. And beside him, there's like a cartographer who notices that the mountains have three peaks. And as we know from Charmed and the Bible. The power of three. The power of three. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the cartographer is really excited. He, you know, he's drawing, he's doing his thing on his map, but the leader is like, you cannot name this region. You cannot tell anyone about this has to be our secret. Um, and then we zoom in and on the corner of the map, there's the name Vespers. So in the present, Hank wakes up from this dream. And he jots it down in a dream journal, which is apparently a really big character trait. He loves his dream journal. He's so fucking quirky. Um, he would spit out the goddamn gun. I know. It's like, look, it took 12 episodes for it to be revealed to us. Um, that he keeps a dream journal. Now that the plot calls for it. But it's really important that we know he loves his dream journal. So the black priest, who unfortunately never gets a name and who, like... Look, I don't know how to describe him. The priest him. that married Layla and Hank. Yes. Who had his throat slit early in the series. Correct. Yeah. But we just cannot keep introducing him that way because it's too long. We do not know what his name is. Exactly. So he gasps. Oh, he's in the office, by the way. I don't know why. But he gasps when he sees the word Vespers in Hank's dream journal. But Hank literally does not have time for it because, as we know, Rachel is missing. Not, you know, the fact that his wife was just murdered in front of him. No. So in the distance, in the far distance of a mountainous region, Rachel is brought to a monastery. And as the audience, we, of course, know that this is the place from Hank's dream. Speaking of, going back, is it just me or was that flashback, flashback um, what some might consider subterranean? you know, in budget. I just feel like it looked really cheap compared to the rest of the show. I feel like it was an afterthought. I don't know. I just, yeah. I mean, it was cheap. I don't, I think probably because they couldn't afford an actual snow-capped mountain. Right. But they, the, but the rest of the show does seem pretty big budget. Um, I just like that all of a sudden. Hank has Hank visions. Is, <laughs> Hank is having visions. You know, I, I think because the show has become so science focused, they have to bring in a little bit more of the mysticism, a little bit more of the mystery. Yeah. So 
So Rachel is brought to this place from Hank's dream, and Miss Lynch refers to it as the Monastery of St. John. Um, And I think she was saying other stuff, but I was really distracted by her really cute fur cap. Yeah, because it's cold. Yeah. Um, By this point, Theo is looking really shifty. You know, but I guess that faking your death, faking the death of others, working with a known terrorist, and trying to clone Jesus Christ, and also evading rescue from your wife several times, right. your wife who clearly still loves you. He's just looking not his best, and he is ready to bounce. Um, but there's work that needs to be done, and this is when it's kind of revealed that he's not really there of his free will. Yeah. Because he wants to leave and Lynch is like, well, I mean, you know, you can't, you know, I'll never let you go. Yeah. You know, Lynch reminds Theo that he is essential, but do you know who isn't essential? White fucking Vincent. And this is the point I touched on it earlier where I realize how much I loathe white Vincent mm. as a character. Mm. I don't I don't want to be judgmental, right? I think this this actor is probably a fine artist, you know, maybe in other things. But I just think on this show, um he has he's failed me as an audience member. Um I just don't find anything about his character to be really plausible and not even like the 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 cloning aspect of it, right? I'm thinking of like he just embodies like the idea of an embarrassing father figure. Interesting. To me, he just has little sunnies on. Uh, mm, and for some people that can be a source of fear. <laughs> um, but for me, he just looks really stupid. Um, <laughs> I love so, how passionate you are about him. I'm small-minded I, enough to find him entertaining. <laughs> I just don't I don't buy him as this really threatening assassin terrorist the thing that i don't buy is the fact that he's a known terrorist and beck who's an fbi agent has been in his presence like upwards of like five times now (laughs) and cannot sink a bullet in this bitch i mean she gets like one bullet in his shoulder but like he escapes like she's she's powerless to catch this yeah terrorist who hasn't really like killed anyone in a while. It doesn't really seem like he's on his violent shit right now. It seems like he's more on his own personal journey. So in this moment, um, it seems like Lynch has ordered her guards to ambush White Vincent, which I was really rooting for. I think this is really the scene that revealed my feelings. Because you were stoked on yeah, the I was possibility like, of his death. Kill him. Um, but they just like took his gun because they're in a holy place and they're like, they can't be shooting White yeah, Vincent. Exactly. So Rachel is escorted by a pair of guards that look like they just came off the Book of Mormon traveling company. Mm. Um, they in, in appearance, in in costume mm. more so than anything else. Um, but she like kicks one of them and scurries off to a room and she's able to get a phone and she calls headquarters. She calls Hank. She has that phone number memorized. Exactly. Um, And for once the FBI acts like the intelligence agency they are and are able to track the call, except I'm leaning in for dramatic effect. Yeah. The coordinates don't exist on this earth. What? Is she calling from Mars? Is she calling from Venus? (laughs) Is she calling from Pluto? Is she calling from Jupiter? Name the rest of the planets. Is she calling from your anus? 
is she calling from Saturn? Mercury. Is she calling from Mercury? <laughs> is it in retrograde? Because it's feeling like it might be. Which this this episode is going to delve on delve into this topic, but it just seems like with radio with satellite imagery, they should like this should this should be a non-issue. But they should be able to locate these coordinates. Yeah. Um, smash cut to commercial commercial break and we wake up to what i originally thought was rachel in heaven mm. um it's an all-white room full of beautiful diverse women all wearing white nightgowns it has like a cloud like blue sky mural doesn't it uh, yeah or something yeah um and one of them um alima is just like a really beautiful black woman who i I don't know what age she was supposed to be. I got like late teens. They all looked really young. Like Rachel looked the oldest. Yeah, Rachel seems the oldest. She could be late teens, early 20s. Yeah. She's young. She's probably our age. But Alima tells Rachel that they are in a waiting room. For what? Who knows? Um, Well, Rachel asks. (laughs) Oh, and do they say heaven? Yeah. Oh, great. They're in a waiting room for heaven. I know because I was like, oh my God, are they in purgatory? And then... Alima's like, we're waiting for heaven. I was like, okay, so nail on the head. Right. <laughs> another one, you know, another score for Abby, another win for that deduction skill. Um, Alima explains that her and the other nightgown girls are orphans from all over the world and that the 41 Trust has like saved them and like and provided for their families. Them in this pretty room. Exactly. So Rachel is immediately suspicious and tries to leave, but the doors are locked. Um, because she's captive. Um, and suddenly the the Book of Mormon guards come in and takes one of them. Um, and Alima says that she, she is the first chosen. For what, you might ask? Well, to carry the clone of Jesus Christ. I mean, we think that, you know, she's supposed to be, quote unquote, going to heaven. But you can just tell that this is not purgatory and this is, in fact, planet Earth. Um, and when this girl leaves... It hits you. It like, hits you. Oh. What What would these, like, very young, fertile women, orphaned, you know, pure-hearted, white, nightgowned souls be doing in this monastery? Well, of course, they're meant to be carrying the clone of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So we get a quick flash of White Vincent somewhere in this monastery being really bummed because his eyes are, like, gross and infected and bloody and he can't really I mean, see. He's straight up going blind. Yeah. There's blood... Like, congealed, ooh, yeah. you know, like when you pop a blood vessel in your eye and it's red, but it's like all over his eyes. And, and we actually get a glimpse of his vision and his vision is like foggy and red. And Yeah. And the, he sees the haunted child and he's like, homeboy, I need you to get my weapon. Like, I need to get out of here. Like, I'm not feeling good here. So Theo finishes the in vitro procedure on this this innocent girl yeah to impregnate one of the nightgown girls and sis immediately goes into cardiac arrest yeah and i mean theo being an incredible scientist you know his hypothesis is you know i guess that's what happens when you put 2000 year old dna inside a girl 16 year old orphan right but miss lynch is convinced that this girl just like wasn't pure enough. You know, she must be one of those like slutty orphan girls that you hear about. You know, like we need, <laughs> we need a virginal, yeah. pure hearted. She doesn't have the purity of Mary, of the mother Mary, of Christ. Exactly. 
<laughs> I do like this this idea though of the two thousand year old DNA not being compatible because I mean you would think that in two thousand years that the human race would have gone through some kind of evolution, right? And so our DNA might be different. Well, that's what our mouths are getting smaller. What? That's why we have to take our wisdom teeth out. I think I read somewhere. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. Because we're evolving to have smaller mouths. Because we don't need as big like mouths and canine teeth to like chomp on. Flesh of of living creatures. Correct. We can just buy our. Lunch meat. Our frozen You're telling me that lunch meat is (laughs) the reason why you have to have an expensive surgery? It's why I have my dry socket. Um, Anyway. I like definitely read that somewhere, but someone correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I believe you. Anyway, so what's happening? What's happening? Oh, yeah. Okay. So we need a virgin like Mary. Um, and immediately, immediately I start praying that Rachel gets pregnant. You yeah. made a joke about it earlier, but I was like, seriously, like, uh, give really, her a storyline. I just don't think that she's supposed to be a virgin. <laughs> I just, I just think this act, I like this actress. I think that she's one of the like untapped potentials on this show. And I like I, her too. I would like to see her with a meteor storyline. She's in other stuff. I feel like we looked at her IMDb. But we came up with nothing, I thought. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, look, I mean, add, add whatever nonsense she's into the list, I guess. I just feel like she deserves more than being into a guy with a bad haircut. Like, I think she's a good actor. Yeah, I mean, that's her main characterization on this show, and it is disappointing. To my disappointment, Alima um, is the next chosen experiment. So back in New York, Hank is investigating this map conundrum. Um, and while researching it, he is approached by the priest from the opening, with a slit throat, and a group of shepherds, including um, their hunky assassin, who I am no longer into, and Father Reggie, who um, is most notable for holding a phone with a flat hand. Right. So apparently Vespers is a location that they have been looking for for years, for decades, centuries, and Hank had a vision about it. And it's this is not a coincidence. You know, this is an act of... Of God. It kind of makes you start to think in the previous episodes when White Vincent was reading that journal, was he actually like, because we kind of thought it looked like he was having visions. Was he literally having visions of like the man he was cloned from? Or just like, like memories from his past, past lives. quote unquote life. Because now all of a sudden Hank has the ability to have visions. This is the only vision he has ever. Yeah. But we don't know, you know, what the future would have brought if this show had gone a second season. So this priest explains that in the year 1452, there was a schism in the church over chapter seven revelations that said that 144,000 people will be saved. Um, The the 12 tribes of Israel uh, and the shepherds explained that the pirates are the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel. So we know this verse in Revelation to be like the rapture. Right. Which is, you know, the inspiration for Left Behind, the series. Did you ever watch that? Left Behind? Yeah. Or The Leftovers? The Leftovers is, I think, about alien abduction. But it's inspired by Left Behind. It's about alien abduction? I think so. I mean, it's about people going missing. But it's this idea that, like, sometime before the end of the world, certain people will be, like, spared and they'll get to live. And there's a bunch of different theological interpretations of the rapture. Some people think it's like not literal. Some people do, you know, some people, you know, see it as the 12 tribes of Israel's descendants getting saved. Um, 
But in this, in this, in this narrative, the pirates um, or the shepherds explain that the pirates broke away from the church and that they stole parts of the sacred tree to establish a new Jerusalem. Yeah. And all this time, the shepherds have been hunting for this new Jerusalem, which is Vespers, which yes. And it's also based- the name of Eva Green's character in <laughs> um, Casino Royale. Isn't her name Vesper? It is. Just, just a little connection. Not a great movie, but a very beautiful woman. I would have to agree with you. Yeah. Based on this vision, Hank points to a map. Like he just like in the vision saw the map and was like, okay, here's where they stopped in my vision. And the next day... The FBI, the Shepherds, Hank, Rachel, and Aaron. Oh, Rachel is in the monastery, excuse me. Hank and Aaron. They all gather outside of a helicopter that is far too small to actually carry this amount of people. But they all hop on. Well, because it's a bunch of the Shepherds. Yeah. Um, the priest that married Layla and Hank. Beck, Aaron, and Hank. But not what I just said. It's just so many people. It is what you just said, but it's like, it's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. At the monastery, the second girl, Alima, she gets the procedure and is momentarily stable, but then- Is plunged into cardiac arrest. Is plunged into cardiac arrest. Did I black out? Did I explain that the first test subject died? Yeah. Well, the first test subject died. They go to take a second test subject. Right. Sorry. We were hoping it would be Rachel, but no one believes Rachel's a virgin, so they take Alima. Uh, this is what happens at 9 p.m. Right. So Alima gets the procedure. She's stable and then immediately goes into cardiac arrest. Theo wants to stop, but Lynch is not having it. Uh, and he calls her crazy, which, if you remember from the last episode, is not something Lynch likes to be called. She is very easily ticked off. You do not call a middle-aged woman with a tight face and even tighter curls crazy, especially if she's wearing a silky muumuu. Remember that? The muumuu? Yeah. Well, she's wearing a muumuu, plus she's also wearing like a robe over the muumuu. And heels. <laughs> like, what's going well, on? Look, she's... Unhinged. And the leader of the, you know, the apocalypse. So Lynch threatens Theo and has Rachel fetched as the next experiment. And the scene is really dramatic. It's in slow motion. The dialogue is muted. Rachel is screaming out, no! It's about to get real. Except divine intervention, baby. Because the lights flicker. Alima wakes up. And it seems like it's like almost like an electrical surge because in the sky, the helicopter that's carrying the FBI and Hank comes crashing down. Which you know what that means. Alima's virginal vagina her pure heart, it really came through. Uh, she is good enough to carry the clone of Jesus Christ. I mean, look, she's pure. She is pure of heart, of mind, of body, and of soul. I liked her. I thought she was a good actor. She's really good. I enjoyed her a lot. So the, the FBI, um, the, the helicopter comes crashing down and everyone seems perfectly fine except for two people who are, quote, missing. Um, but no one gives a fuck about them because they like have better things to do, like save Rachel. So the remaining group begins wandering through the woods, looking for this monastery, and they come across a wall of fire. Um, And, you know, you really have to think, 
is this an act of God signaling the beginning of the end? Or is this just jet fuel from the crash? You decide. I mean, you have to think it because it's what Hank is saying. (laughs) The priests are like, oh, this is a sign of the end because snow can't be on fire, but this is the wall of fire from Revelation. And then Hank is like, I'm pretty sure it's just jet fuel from our fallen. What a wet blanket. Just ruining everyone's fun. (laughs) Look, he's a modern skeptic. Uh, Oh, an important thing to note about the rest of this episode is that my ex-crush, Shepard Assassin, discount Oscar Isaac, is packing a rifle with a rosary wrapped around the end. I'm going to tell you right now, I never put together that that was who that was. I just thought it was a random Shepard. I did not realize that it was the assassin guy. It is the assassin. At no point did I And you know what? In this moment, we learn that he's not like the other assassins. No, because he has a a rosary dangling from his rifle. He loves God. Yeah. Enough to kill. (laughs) At this point, the group, like, I think separates for a moment. And Father Reggie starts snapping. He's babbling. Daddy is off the deep end. He is shooting at random. He's looking a fool. And as an audience, we hear kind of like a howling, like the winds are howling. It's, It's an ominous, supernatural type noise. Yeah. And I think from this point onward till the end, for me, it's pretty clear that they, it's no longer trying to be ambiguous it's no longer is this science is this a coincidence no within the realm of the show you know god and the devil are real and one of them is bullying father reggie at the same time as father reggie is freaking out we get a parallel we get an intercut of another shocking twist once again why didn't we see this coming these were fools So Alima getting pregnant, you know, one of these girls successfully getting pregnant and not dying is not the end goal. Mm. Ultimately, Alima is an experiment. She's but a guinea pig. Because there is only one uterus worth carrying 2,000-year-old DNA. And that is Miss Lynch, boss lady, silky moo-moo, tight curls herself. She's like fully 60 years old, right? Or 50s? Look, I, I didn't want to assume, but... I also think it's interesting that she thinks she's pure and chaste enough to carry yeah. Christ. I guess she's not been up to anything fun the past 50 years. Yeah. But um, I just don't- This is not a woman that you would assume can still have... Children, let alone have that child be Jesus Correct. Christ. Yeah. They don't, they also don't wait around to run tests on Alima. They don't wait around to see if she's even actually pregnant. Well, the whole thing with in, in vitro, I'm pretty sure, is that they, they put a bunch of embryos inside of you because the fail rate is so big. Yeah. So like, even I guess she survived and it's, a, and it's like this divine act. So I think they just assume like, oh, she is good. They don't wait to see if she has a miscarriage. Yeah. They don't keep tabs on her. They're just like, great, that was successful. We're fired up. We're ready to impregnate Lynch. While she's getting injected or whatever with her turkey baster baby. Yeah. Her turkey baster savior. Correct. Father Reggie is once again flipping out and he alludes to the beast, yeah. which is a reference to the Antichrist. Correct like me if I'm wrong. And the that the Antichrist, whatever, will like, you know. Right. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
the Antichrist is supposed to come first and then Christ fo- the Jesus comes back. Is that the order? Yeah, I think so. Generally. Or like simultaneously. Right. But the Antichrist is supposed to be like a world leader before before Jesus returns. In this moment, I instantly know. I feel like you. We all know. That Alima is carrying Christ. Christ. And Lynch is carrying the fun one. <laughs> Watch your fucking mouth. <laughs> um, but no one else seems to be able to put this together. Correct. But it's very obvious to us that the woman who's evil must be carrying the Antichrist and the beautiful chaste girl must be carrying God. Right. So while this, after all this happens, the haunted child fetches White Vincent's gun um, and he returns the gun to him. But look. Their friendship is everything to me. Their friendship is really cute. But he does rat him out to Lynch. And Lynch rolls in, newly impregnated, with the spawn of the devil, or whatever. Um, And she explains that this haunted clone child was her experiment in raising an obedient, angelic child. And now that she has Jesus inside of her, she doesn't need him. So she's like, look, you take this haunted child. I don't give a fuck. Look, you can have him. I just wanted to prove that I could raise a pure kid. Exactly. Because apparently this haunted child has no hate. Exactly. He has no, apparently he's sinless. He also is tongueless. Yeah. That's never really explained. Lynch also but he is reveals. a clone. So it's yeah. unclear to us whether or not she removed his tongue or if he was born without a tongue because he was a failed clone. Right. Right. And in this scene, Lynch also reveals that she knew about the deal that Vincent and Dr. Galliston made in the previous episode. So she purposefully poisoned the needle that Dr. Galliston used to, quote unquote, cure Vincent's eyes. And that's why he's now going blind. Correct. I will, I want to side note, I just, I find it interesting that this show's idea of the Antichrist is that it's like a demented genetic mutation of jesus christ himself like like he is straight up the antichrist like it's jesus's dna but just like fucked up yeah it's kind of interesting and there's no well and there's no explanation as to why one clone i guess the host i guess because yeah because she's an impure host would be my my assumption because she's but it didn't kill her no that's true um I was trying to stop saying um because I realized last episode I said um a lot. I say like so much. And obviously it's a very stereotypical thing for a white woman to do. And I do it. But I also text it. It's true. Like I will throw like in the middle of my sentence like well in a text. Like well. <laughs> when I so. Early on in our friendship when we would text did you think I sounded harsh? In text? Yeah, people think I sound harsh because I, I guess because I use punctuation. I don't remember. Anyway. I think I just trusted you immediately upon meeting you <laughs> and therefore never questioned the sort of I do kindness you. behind your words. It my heart. Yeah, so I, but, but I understand people coming across as harsh in text. I think I just come across as a bit stupid, but it's fine. I don't know if people know this. But I adore Abigail Sandra. Oh my God, Bowden. stop. <gasps> On the record and everything. On the record and everything. Well, look, we literally have no one else right now. So <laughs> you better love me <laughs> because there's nowhere for you. <laughs> so Lynch 
says that she can fix White Vincent uh, and that he is ultimately worthy because he is a descendant, even though he's a clone, he's a descendant from the 12 tribes of Israel. The man that he was cloned from right. was a descendant. So he comes from a holy bloodline. It's like, how do they know? How are they tracking these bloodlines all the way back to the 12 tribes of Israel? Like, please explain. Science. Keep up. I just don't, I just don't yeah. buy it. Something's not clicking. Anyway, all Vincent has to do to be saved from the rapture or be part of the rapture? To be saved during the apocalypse. All he has to do is go murder the chicks in nightgowns. Yeah. Including. And then God will spare him. Including Alima. Because there can't be two. Exactly. And Lynch is convinced that whatever Alima's carrying must be the Antichrist. Yes. Now the episode ends with Hank, the remaining FBI agents, Beck, and Aaron. They're, they arrive at the monastery and the winds are a howling. And we know that this is the final showdown. Did we just like skip over how they managed to find the spot? I mean, I it just wasn't impl- an important plot point, but like they go to like a library and a woman explains yeah. how like cartographers were. No, it's not important at all. Exactly. I just, I just couldn't remember if we had said it or not. I like blacked out. It, it comes down to Hank trusting his vision. Trusting his vision. And pointing and to a map. being able to find the location that people have been looking for. Yeah. For generations. Yeah. This is honestly bittersweet. Like, do you not feel like this is a little bit of a bittersweet moment? Just since, like, we started the show in February, <laughs> and it's been such a battle yeah. to I get to this point. I will say that out of all of the shows that we have recapped thus far, this one has had the biggest arc, emotional arc for me. You know, starting from a place of... um clothing to appreciation because we've I'll simply like we've simply spent so much time with zero hour we've <laughs> spent 13 hours with this show 13 hours and more because you know we have to sit down we have to transcribe our notes and then recap it i do feel like i've become it's like double very, the time very intimately connected Ooh, clink I've become very intimately connected and intimately sort of bonded to these characters. I will say it's been roughly a decade. I think it'll be a decade and a year since the show premiered, 2013. I would almost say that we are probably... What's well, 2020 right now? My God. are you? Did you think it was 2022? I, okay? I think I was thinking of my age. I'm 22. Yeah. Look... <laughs> oh. Are you okay? You know that a decade is ten years, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, edit but this out. It's probably been close to a decade since the show was first. What I was trying to say know, before created in the mind of of the guys. I'm actually pretty good at math sometimes. <laughs> um, I've never seen it, but you seem <laughs> to insist that you're good at math, and I, I you know, I, I choose to believe you. Thank you. Um, the point is that I feel like we are almost closer to the show than probably its creators you know we because we've spent more time with it <laughs> certainly more than any of its original viewers right i don't think any of them were spending this much time although we haven't looked maybe there's like fan forums i'm sure should we look and see if there's fan forums yeah after after yeah so 
here we are, episode 13. You know, this is what it's all been building to. Um, we're ready for whatever it has to offer, you know, whether that be Christ, whether that be the Antichrist, whether that be... I know who I'm rooting, rooting for. <laughs> we all know who you're rooting for, sinner. <laughs> episode three is called Spring. A spring is many things, you know, it's it's a new beginning. It's with the earth you know, it blooms, it blossoms in the spring, but it's also a part of a clock, most importantly. Um, it oh, also can be Well, now be that water, you've explained spring, can also we can definitely of, add an educational tag yeah. to our podcast. Um, and of course, you know, it has to start with the poem. I wrote down the first line and the last line. I missed the center line, <laughs> the middle line. Zero is the hour of mystery. Sometimes it's the beginning. Sometimes it's the end. I think so that, true. you know, when this script was written, they were hoping that this zero would be the beginning of the series, you know, setting up season two. Yeah. But we know that it is, in fact, the end because there was never another episode of Zero Hour ever produced. Um, then there's a voiceover of a Bible verse about the beast. I didn't write down what the Bible verse was, but it was very um, harrowing. It was very dark and brooding as things relating to the antichrist sometimes tend to be yes so white vincent we left him off he's been assigned to kill the nightgown girls and he's definitely willing to do it he's not excited about it you know it's not his favorite thing you know mass murder of young women but he's certainly willing to do it if it means that he can get his eyesight back and he can be a normal boy you know, he's, that's all think, he's really after. Do you think it hurt him to maybe blow up that plane full of hundreds of people? You know, Where do you think this compares? He seems more upset about shooting these girls in the face than he is about blowing up that airplane he blew up that one time. Now that he has, you know, really learned about human connection. Did we ever confirm for sure that he blew up that plane? I think, Or was yeah. it the 41 Trust? I guess nothing is ever confirmed, but I think we are supposed to believe it. I just want to believe that he's innocent because I just secretly kind of like I root for him. Well, I think his connection with the the haunted child has given him a, a, a human element. A redemptive know? arc. Yes, exactly. Well, that brings me into my next note, which is that when he agrees to shoot the girls, to kill the girls, he makes Lynch promise to not only fix him afterward, but to also fix the child. Um so this is what made me think that the child is perhaps tongueless because he's a defected or a, yeah, a defected clone. Yeah. And that he was born without a tongue, perhaps. Um, and Vincent wants him to be healed as well because he feels an affection for this child. Um, so he's wandering down the hallway toward the room where the girls are trapped, but he can't fucking see shit. He's stumbling the fuck around. His eyes are all clouded with like red. Um And Rachel is in the room trying to convince these girls to escape with her because some of them still think that they're in a good place and they don't realize that they're about to be fucking killed. Um, But Rachel knows that that that's what's going to happen. She knows that the 41 trust is up to no good. And she tries to convince the girls to leave with her. And Alima actually ends up agreeing with her. Alima, of course, um, is now pregnant with Christ 
I think, um, are we supposed to believe that's what leads her to that To decision? reason? Yeah. Yeah, I think she has increased wisdom now that she's carrying the son of God. Because, <laughs> I mean, she was originally the one who was telling Rachel, like, we're in the waiting room for heaven and this is, like, a good place. But she's clearly had a change of heart, probably because she was just forcefully inseminated. Um, so Vincent arrives at the room, but the girls are gone. So... Um, Rachel was able to pick the lock with like a hairpin or whatever and escape. And we see the girls, they're in the white nightgowns, they're barefoot and they're running through the building trying to find a way out. But like all the doors are locked and there's just like no way out of this monastery. I imagine it's an image that was desired on the creator's part before. They're just like, we need a scene. With like 12 virgins. Yeah, running in white nightgowns through a monastery. You know, we'll figure out how we get there. And and they did. This whole time, that's what the show's been building to. And you know what? They delivered. I don't hate it. I think it was a it's a it's a good visual. I'm just like having trouble with my microphone. Okay. Um so as the girls are trying to escape, Hank and the shepherds and Beck and Aaron and the priest, this whole gang, arrive at the monastery. Um, it's sort of unclear what area of the world they are in. It's somewhere in Asia. True. <laughs> um, it, it's in a valley between two mountains. It's this place from Hank's vision. Um, and they arrive at the door. And the door is huge and wooden and engraved. And it has 12 doorknobs. And each doorknob is coupled with an engraving of an image. And so it's clearly a puzzle. It feels very much like a challenge that they would face on Survivor or the challenge. You know, they have to piece together what these doorknobs mean in order to get in. And they spent a really long time being confused about these doorknobs until they realize that it is the 12 tribes of Israel that these doorknobs correspond to. Now, there's a bunch of Rosicrucian shepherds and priests present So it is confusing to me that they would spend so much time not understanding what they're looking at, because I think they're probably all pretty familiar with the 12 tribes of Israel, but they do figure it out. And then they just realize, oh, they have to turn each knob in order of the 12 tribes. So that's what they do. And they get into the building. What didn't add up for me was that they thought the best way to sneak into this probably armed monastery- Was to go through the front door? Correct. Um, I think that we're supposed to believe that there's no other way in. It's like walled with like, you know, like a giant. Layla would have climbed the wall is all I have to fucking say. Layla is scrappier (laughs) than all of these people. But guess what? She's fucking dead and no one remembers her. And she died like two days ago. Uh, She'll always be in my heart. As much as we respect her, it seems like nothing else. No one else does. (laughs) So the nightgown girls find another room to hide in. They've gone from one room in the monastery to another room in the monastery, a very similar looking room. There's, you know, some sculptures, there's some windows, but the windows are locked Um, and they're hiding because they know at this point that, that Vincent is after them. Hank and his gang of shepherds are searching the building, looking for Rachel. Um, And then we see Theo. Beck's estranged husband, who I honestly, I wish for his freedom. I really do. Because I do feel at this point that he's a victim in all of this. As much as he loves the science, um, I think he's excited about, you know, creating life in a lab. He doesn't, he's not a believer. He doesn't want to bring about the end of the world. I don't think he really even believes he's going to be saved. I don't think that he identifies with the great pirates 
in all of this. I think he's just kind of, you know, along for the ride. But we see him looking at something under a microscope and it's funky. What he's looking at is funky. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. It looks like blood cells, but they're up to no good. (laughs) They're, you know, they're splitting off weird. You know, they're mutating. We can see that there's some kind of wild something or other going on with the sample that he's looking at. And then he's discovered by Beck, Hank, and the gang, and the shepherds. And the shepherds instantly want to kill him, and they hold him at gunpoint. I get it. You know, he is a tool of the apocalypse. But he's so handsome. He is handsome. And you know what? He's a victim, but they don't see it that way. They don't see it like that. Mm -hmm. And they want to kill him because they want him to atone for his sins. While they are working with an assassin who... um, Look... But I guess he has a rosary, so... There's a difference between, you know, sinning for God and sinning against God. That, I think, is the big takeaway of this show, is that it's okay to do evil things if God's telling you to do them. But if God's telling somebody else to do evil things (laughs) that you disagree with, that's bad. It's pretty easy to follow if you just kind of put your mind to it. (laughs) Um, So the shepherds are spitting Bible verses at Theo about, you know, the sinner having to atone. But backfires back with Bible verses about forgiveness. And, you know, that, you know, the one who is without sin should be the one to throw the first stone. She may not have read the FBI handbook, but she's definitely read an abridged, maybe a children's Bible with illustrations. Look, that's what I'm on board for. (laughs) I fucking I do love some of those classic Bible illustrations from children's Bibles. They can be really cute. Um, So... I didn't know that she had any Bible knowledge. She's not a believer as far as we know, that we never really get answers on like what her stance is. Really all we know is that she, you know, loves her husband. We had that one scene where Layla's like, what do you believe in? Yeah, but she doesn't really even answer. Exactly. You know. But she has a knowledge of the Bible. She's um, private. And it works because she convinces the shepherds to let Theo live um, by just quoting like one or two Bible verses, which I'm sure they were already familiar with. But I guess just hearing it from her beautiful mouth was enough to convince them. Vincent um, wastes no time. Even though he's blind, he finds Rachel and the rest of the girls. He knows where they're hiding, but they're behind a locked door. And he's, you know, trying to break into the door. He's trying to bust the door down, um, but it's not working. And so he starts taunting Rachel, telling her, like, you know, I'm, you're right. Like, I was going to kill you and you're right to be afraid, but I'll let you live if you just give yourself over to me. Like, turn yourself and the rest of the girls over. I'll let you live. And we wrote down this fabulous quote where he says, do you want to see the boy with the hair who seems quite fond of you? So she does. Vincent is really fucking intuitive. And he's kind of caught on to the fact that Aaron and Rachel have a little bit of a thing. Um, Do you think that he's a romantic? Yes. Yes. But do you think that busted, blind, injured, bullet wounds, White Vincent is more or less competent than Beck at her peak without the accent. You know, like, like she's really in the moment where her accent falters. Like when she's really delivering a great monologue. So all of a sudden you can hear that the actress is British. Yeah. Um, Look, I I don't think I have to tell the audience. I think everyone (laughs) listening knows that Beck is one of the worst and most incompetent FBI agents to ever live. Um, However, her negotiation skills might be kind of there because she convinces these shepherds to let her husband live. Her husband who is doing bad things. Um, But yeah, Vincent is more capable than she is. 
And he's apparently very intuitive because he has picked up on Aaron and Rachel's romantic bond, even though they don't even seem to pick up on it. And no one else is talking about how they're obviously in love with each other. Because they just look like siblings. That's kind of true, I guess. Um, they Rachel doesn't let him in, but he gets in anyway. He just manages to like blow the door open. And he clearly has no intention of letting the girls live. That was a lie. It was a bluff. Um, but Rachel makes a case for her life and she tells him, you know, how could you be okay with killing innocent women? You know, you're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. But white Vincent has done a lot worse as a terrorist, as an active terrorist (laughs) who has bombed airplanes. Um, he's not really bobbed. No, um, he's not going to regret killing these innocent women any more than he's going to regret any of the other atrocious things he's done. But what does convince him is the little boy finds him. The, the haunted child. innocent haunted child enters the room and he gives Vincent a note, which is, of course, how he communicates because he's mute. And you can see on Vincent's face that this note is making him think and it's maybe changing his mind about some stuff. So Theo, who's now been allowed to live, shows the shepherds what he was looking at under the microscope. And it's exactly what we expected. It's Lynch. It's the cells inside of her womb. Um, He says that they're mutating, that whatever she's been impregnated with is no longer a child. Um, Now, we know that it's the same day that she's been impregnated um, and already this baby is fucking mutating into like a monster. Like it's going to come out with horns and like a goat face, you know, it's going to come out as black Philip is what I'm expecting. Yeah. And you know, wouldst thou like to live deliciously? That's, that's (laughs) kind of the ultimate question here. Um, Everyone knows that I would. Is Father Reggie still around? Because they just kind of... They left Father Reggie in the woods when he was babbling. (laughs) We talked about that, right? Father Reggie, like, you know, was so in tune with the spirit that he knew that the apocalypse was coming. So they just left him in the woods and, like, moved on because they can't be carrying his dead weight. So Lynch, I mean, she's carrying something that's mutating. We as viewers know that this must be the Antichrist. Um, Vincent returns to Lynch and he tells her that the deed is done, that he's killed all of the girls. But then he also tells her that he knows that she was lying and that she can't actually heal him or the little boy. But maybe the Black Phillip inside of her can. I don't think that the Antichrist is in the business of healing. I think he's in the business of wounding. I think you need to sort of, you know, come to terms with (laughs) the reality. You know, he may help you live deliciously, but he's not going to redeem you of your of your flaws and of your your damages. You know, does that make sense? Do you feel like I'm proselytizing? <laughs> so this escalates pretty quickly. And Lynch is like, oh, you didn't actually kill the girls. Um, I can smell the weakness on your so breath. So I guess somehow the little boy figured out that Lynch couldn't actually cure them and told Vincent, which changed Vincent's name. Because mind, because he's not going to kill all these girls for no reason. He's only going to do it for his own personal gain. He doesn't kill for pleasure. He kills for for personal gain. Um, So he brings out Alima and threatens to kill Lynch. Um, But her henchmen defend her and they beat the shit out of Vincent. But um, they don't kill him. And Lynch tells them that 
they can't kill him because he's actually one of the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel. And therefore he's one of the gods chosen that's going to survive the apocalypse. So it would be wrong for them to kill him. However, it would be totally okay for the cold to kill him. So they just grab him and chain him up outside in the cold to just freeze to death because that's somehow better than just shooting him in the head. I think personally for me, like if he is one of God's chosen people, wouldn't it be more merciful to shoot him in the head than to force him to suffer slowly freezing to death? It doesn't look that cold. It doesn't look that cold because there's (laughs) not really any snow on the ground, but you can like see their breath. Like it's supposed to be cold. Yeah. But in order to die in that freezing cold weather, he'd have to be out there for a really long time. Yeah. I think he's more likely to starve to death than he is to die of the cold, but okay. Um, and he's honestly made a huge mistake because before getting chained outside to die, he turned over Alima to Lynch. Um, but Vincent left all the other girls in the room that they were in and just locked the door. So once again, they're locked in a room in this monastery. Like they cannot get away from this. This yeah. is just like their destiny. Lynch wants to kill Alima. She wants her henchmen to kill her, but they're not willing to because of what she's carrying. You know, they saw this girl get inseminated with the spawn of God. She died. She died and came back to life pregnant with Jesus. So they won't kill her. So that just, again, reminds you that all of Lynch's henchmen are loyal to her because they are true believers in. They're more loyal to the big man upstairs. They're more loyal to God. You're right. You're right. Um, so Lynch has to take matters into her own hands because no one is willing to kill Alima. So she, you know, takes Alima to have this private moment and she brings her over to the tree. So there's like a giant tree, you know, it has tree of life vibes. It's smaller than the tree that Layla died under, right. but it's, it's big and it's a beautiful tree. And, and at the base of the tree is a basin of holy water. She brings Alima over there. This is uh, clearly a spiritual place. And she says, you know, what you're carrying inside of you is an abomination. Yeah. It's sick and evil. And, you know, it's not your fault. You're good and you're pure. It's like, I know I did this to you, but. (laughs) I know I forcefully inseminated you, but what you're inseminated with is really fugly and you need to kill yourself. (laughs) So then we cut to Hank and the gang and um, they find Rachel. It's not that hard. They find all the girls, but they are caught by, you know, one of the pirate henchmen and they fight that guy off. So it's just like a pretty quick grab and go they managed to bust into the room to save Rachel and the other girls. And this is a moment that I think we've all been waiting for. It's Aaron and Rachel's moment. You know, he was having a flirtationship with Meryl Streep's daughter. Um, but this whole time, Rachel has been wearing scarves and pining after him. Um, lip she's quivering. Lip quivering. You know, she's been kind of teasing him. We know that they have feelings for each other. White Vincent knows that they have feelings for each other. So... Aaron runs in and he runs to her and she's like, you came for me. And they wrap each other up in a beautiful embrace, mm-hmm. a hug. Yeah, that's right. They do not kiss. My question here, is it because they're like leaving this romance to be like a season two thing? As if. Like, are we supposed to keep on this will they, won't they? As like, if that, that's keeping us on the edge of our seat. Exactly. But I just am like, I'm, really, I had to roll my eyes at this point. Like, if they were going to have a moment of of sensual embrace of lip lock, if you this would be the moment. If you couldn't give me a pregnant Rachel. 
can't you at least give me a horny Rachel? <laughs> but no. So this is, and this is literally their moment. This is, this is the only moment they get in the whole episode and it's an embrace yeah. and like some, some meaningful eye contact. Um, so then we get a moment between Theo and Beck where Theo says to Beck, because he sees her, you know, rescuing people. And he says to her, you're not the person I remember. Um, that's because he remembers her as a tender social worker with um, peasant tops and side braids. Yes. Um, and she remembers him as a loving artist, artist husband. With a greenhouse on the side. With a greenhouse on their roof in Manhattan. Um, so he says, you know, you're not the person I remember. And she says, you're not either. Um, so this just establishes that, you know, they've both changed. It's not just that he abandoned her to fake his death, fake his death to do the work of Satan. But it's also that, you know, she abandoned him by um, joining the know, FBI, joining the FBI, dedicating her life to him. You yeah. know, really, people come into your life and sometimes they go. There are seasons <laughs> like spring. Uh, well, she says to him, you know, that he's obviously more different than she is. And then he says to her, um, you know, he just kind of has to explain himself. And he says, I had to stop loving you because, you know, I was taken away from you. I was kidnapped and forced to do this work. And I knew that I would never be able to live with being apart from you unless I learned to stop loving you. And so I had to repress that love and I had to grow out of that love and no longer pine after you. And Beck snaps the fuck back because she's not buying that shit. That shit is ridiculous. And she says, Theo, I thought your ass was dead. I thought you were dead in the ground. And I still loved you. I had to live with knowing that you were dead, but still nothing could kill my love for you. And this is obviously confrontational to Theo because he knew she was alive out there. Why are you yelling at me? (laughs) (laughs) Are you like talking at me because I literally was just screaming? (laughs) So Lynch and Lima are having their confrontation. It's a good one. It is intense. And they put their hands into some holy water. And Alima is like, it hurts. Why is it so cold? It's so freezing. Do you feel that? And Lynch doesn't really feel it. But she puts her hands deeper in the water and the water begins to freeze. Literally, a layer of ice starts to form on the surface of this holy water. And Lynch is horrified and she whips her hands out of the water and she says, Alima, you know, this is because of the abomination that you're carrying. What's inside of you is so demented and unholy that it cannot you know stand to be in this holy water and it's freezing the water so she tells alima that you know what she owes to god and it's not her fault but what she has to do is kill herself mm-hmm. um not just you know have an abortion no she has to kill herself i'm sure they could just terminate the baby but no she needs to stab herself in the gut i know so lynch hands the the knife to alima and you can see that alima is toying with the idea because she's a woman of faith and you know she is brainwashed by lynch and if lynch says that she's an abomination then it must be true these two women who were introduced in the last quarter of the show and who have had less screen time than any of our leads between them have more character and more tension between them than I would say Hank has had all 13 episodes. I would have to agree 100%. So, you know, the gang and all of the, the nightgown girls are escaping, but then they realize that white Vincent took Alima and Alima is still inside. And if they leave, they're leaving Alima to die. 
So the shepherds decide to go back in and rescue Alima, but they are confronted by some 41 trust henchmen and are immediately all slaughtered. Mm-hmm. So these shepherds, once again, much like the FBI, are completely and utterly useless. <laughs> um, and although there are several of them, they don't even sink a single bullet into the pirates and they all drop dead. So now who's left? A couple priests, Hank, Aaron, and Rachel. But Aaron and Rachel need to be together. So, you know, who's going to save Alima? It has to be Hank. I mean, it's his destiny. He is... He is clone. He is the clone of a Nazi with a heart of gold who was truly a Rosicrucian, who, you know, loved God and wanted to bring about something or other. A clone of New Bartholomew. Exactly. Um... Yes. Yes. New Barney. (laughs) So he goes back inside to save Alima. And he almost gets caught. Well, first, the priest, his his priest buddy, gives him a rosary to protect him, some prayer beads, um, because, of course, this is going to be the key to his success. And the priest says, you know, you don't have to be a believer to believe I just think the winds are howling. The winds are howling. I mean, it's getting stormy outside. They know that the apocalypse (laughs) is on its way, but, you know, they have to save this innocent girl. Yeah. So, you know, armed with no weapon, but with, you know, the weapon of, you know, the sword of faith, (laughs) question mark. Um, You know, Hank goes in with the rosary um, and he's ready. And, you know, he's almost detected by one of the pirates, but um, the little boy helps him. He tells Hank, you know, stop, wait here, and and shows Hank where to hide. And then the pirate doesn't catch him. So we see that this little boy, despite having been raised by Lynch, you know, he has no evil in him. As she described, you know, he is a pure-hearted child. (laughs) He's not really taking sides. He's just on the side of of survival and of, you know, truth and what is right. So, you know, we think that this little boy is going to help Hank get to Alima. But in fact, he leads Hank right to Vincent, where Vincent is um, chained outside, uh, awaiting death. And no one's guarding him for some reason. So he's just kind of standing there chained up. And um, Vincent immediately, he realizes what Hank is there to do. And he's like, oh, I get it. You know, you're here to save Alima. But, you know, you can't. You need a monster to beat a monster. You can't kill. You don't have the stomach to kill. You're going to just like march in there and save Alima, but not kill anyone. Do you even know how to fire a gun? You need me. I mean, this is consistent for Hank's character, just strolling into danger. I guess he might have a gun on him because I think he gives a gun to White Vincent. So he must have a weapon. But um, yeah, he's not a soldier. He's not an experienced murderer. He's an Um, editor in chief. Of Modern Skeptics magazine. And don't you forget it. Um, And Vincent makes a pretty good argument here, which is that only a monster can beat a monster. And, you know, you need somebody who's willing to shoot their way in past all the guards if you want to save this girl. You're not going to just waltz in there. Um, And Vincent says to Hank that he feels like this is God's plan for them. That, you know, in their previous life, in the 1940s, they were the ones who were going to protect the cross and orchestra, you know, all these clocks to keep this event from taking place. And God has brought them back through cloning to finish what they started, to stop this apocalypse from happening, to stop the beast from being born. 
Um, and this is enough. And this is convincing to Hank. And he gives Vincent the gun and frees him and, and cuts his chains. And Vincent, um, you know, heads his way into the building and once again gets confronted by the same group of guards that killed all the shepherds earlier. But Vincent is fucking ready and he goes bang, bang on their asses. He really does. He can barely see. He's half blind. <laughs> he's literally looking through like little pinholes. Um, but he still manages to kill every last one of these pirates and himself only catching a couple bullets. So he does take one in the shoulder, one in the leg, but he, you know, he well, that was the out. best part. It would be like him getting his body shuddering after being shot at. And he's been cold. And he's cold and bleeding. And still a better shot than Beck. <laughs> so Vincent wins this shootout and, you know, he's wounded now, but Hank carries him. That He leans on his shoulder and Hank and, and Vincent stumble inside. And they see, you know, the only people left in the room are Alima and Lynch. Now, there were, I'm assuming, a bunch of scientists at one point. Maybe the scientists double as the henchmen. Um, but now the, the only person left is Lynch yeah. and Alima. And of course, you know, they're both pregnant. And this is, you know, God versus the devil. Jesus versus the Antichrist. You know, this is a huge penultimate moment for the show. So... Alima is about to stab herself and Hank enters and he says that, you know, it's in fact Lynch who's carrying the abomination. He's saying what we're all thinking and what we all know to be true. Lynch is the one who's carrying the Antichrist. Lynch is the one who is a bastardization, a demonization, is that a word? A corruption of all that is pure and holy. It is Lynch who has done evil in the name of God. It's on a roll there. That was really good. Um, and Lynch does not appreciate this. And we see this bitch get unhinged once again. She is a short fuse. This is not an attractive quality in a person. This is not a godly quality. It says in the Bible, slow to anger. And this bitch is quick to anger. I know, but her moo is just so delicious. She does look really elegant. <laughs> but it's not about appearances. It's about what's in the soul. And she gets really fucking angry. And she breaks the basin of holy water and this basin is solid marble so this bitch does have super strength <laughs> she shatters the solid marble basin and she says that i am a woman of god and then hank says back who uses science to play god because she does i mean she uses science to play god i mean he's hitting the nail on the head there so she gets really angry and the entire room starts to freeze so you know something about the antichrist here um actually you know has an h2o just add water style superpower where he can freeze water thank god that you found a way to reference h2o just add water in I this just episode think, i just think it's a little bit interesting that you know one of the traits of the antichrist here is that um you know he can turn water into ice mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. i like it i fuck with it i mean <laughs> i personally am more afraid of freezing to death than i am of burning to death just really based on, yeah i just, guess you grew up in new england there's just something about um, being cold that makes me um, long for the sweet relief of death. And there's something about being hot that makes me just want a glass of water. 
You know, it's just a different experience. As a child, I was traumatized by the iconic film Final Destination 3, specifically the scene in which the two girls burn to death in a tanning bed. It haunted me for years. Um, So I think freezing to death just... Let's not get it twisted. I would rather, you know, die quietly in my sleep <laughs> in a hostel in Switzerland with a drip of morphine. And me by your side. And, and you holding my hand. I do want you to watch the light go out of my eyes. <laughs> I need somebody to witness it happening. Yeah. I need somebody to, you know, see that last moment and mm-hmm. carry it with them for the rest of their lives as kind of a curse. I wonder what song I would listen to after. Sarah McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Although maybe you'd want to listen to something that I can tolerate, you know? Sufjan. Oh, ooh. Yeah. I imagine just hobbling into the sunset. And then or sunrise. And then you fall, <laughs> you crumble and and scream and you let out a, a scream into the sunset and then you fall to your death. I imagine more like I ascend, I just start levitating and float to the heavens. So, I have to die in a hospital bed, but you get to just <laughs> ascend to heaven like fucking Jesus. You wrote your narrative, I'm writing mine. Okay. Well, you know what? You said what you said and You know, I'm just going to take it with a grain of salt and we'll see what actually happens. (laughs) So she, you know, Lynch starts freezing the tree, which makes sense. Okay. It's like the tree of life or whatever. She's freezing the holy water. And then it just starts to crawl up the stone walls of this building and into the glass ceiling. And like this whole building is about to crumble because of her satanic womb. Um, Which just makes you think, I just feel like the Antichrist would maybe want to like protect its host. And not destroy the building. It's like out of control with rage, I guess. <laughs> I, I I will say, like, stopping the birth of the Antichrist yes. is itself, you know, anti-biblical, right? Like, in order for things to go the way the Bible says, there needs to be an Antichrist. Yeah. So I feel like they're really just, you know, if... Well, then you say it has to be a person in power, or hypothetically she... Right? It's yeah, in a position of power I guess hypothetically and... Lynch has been the Antichrist this whole time. Yeah. I mean, I just, it just, I guess it just takes into question, like, what is the worldview of this show? I mean, this show has turned out to be way more religious than I was expecting. I don't think we knew going into it that it was going to be like... We thought it was about clocks. Yeah, we thought it was about <laughs> clocks. We didn't realize that it was, like, deeply Christian. But it is also, like, somewhat blasphemous. So I don't really know if it's trying, like, who it's trying to appeal to. Right. You know, I guess the same people who are into the Da Vinci Code lapsed Christians kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, by stopping the rise of the Antichrist, are they not just delaying the inevitable? I guess that's what would leave the door open for a season two. Well, I have theories about season two, but I'll let you continue. I mean, where there is good, there must be evil. Good cannot exist without evil. Yeah. Light cannot exist without dark. I don't think that that's biblical. That's Trisha just... cannot exist without tea. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Lynch is screaming and the building is crumbling and Hank manages to escape with Alima. So this is our rescue moment. You know, Alima is pregnant with Christ and Hank is saving her. And Vincent, it looks to me like he's staying behind to die. You know, he's played out, he's done his shit and it's time for him to go quietly into this good night. But he, you know, he turns to Hank and he says, see you in the next life, brother. And Hank says, I hope so, brother. You know, Vincent, um, he's a terrorist. Yes. He has bombed planes. Yes. Um, He did kill Hank's wife. Yes. But in this moment, it seems that Hank has forgiven him. 
he's chosen the path of righteousness and he forgives Vincent and he hopes that they meet again in their next life. You know, they both come from the same corrupt blood, you know, the Nazi blood. They're both inherently, um, they both suck. So it makes sense that they would, you know, lean on their brotherhood at the end of it all. So Hank and Alima escape the building as it's crumbling. And we have this extremely dramatic moment where they look into the sun. Cause I guess the sun is either rising or setting, maybe rising. I don't, mm-hmm. was this been nighttime the whole time? No, it's been daytime. They see the sun and like it's the clouds are parting and, the, and there's a sunbeam. And so I'm like, is Jesus about to like descend from the clouds? Well, no, cause he's in her womb. Yeah. But like, what about the previous Jesus? You know, like that now there's multiple. I'm like, what's about to happen? I was ready for finally for us to get like something straight up mystical because, you know, we the ice have, wasn't enough. Well, at the end of the day, natural disaster <laughs> is not the same as like seeing, seeing God. a ghost or a spirit or like, you know, seeing something mystical happen. So, you know, the, a shadow falls in front of the sun and a, a figure bis, bis, like starts to descend. And what is it? Mm. It's mm. a helicopter. That's right. So it's like some FBI helicopter coming to rescue them. And once again, we load up a helicopter with like way more people than should reasonably fit in a helicopter. So the sky is stormy and the building is crumbling all around. But Hank, Alima, Beck, Theo, Aaron, Rachel, the remaining shepherds and the priest all board this helicopter safely. And, you know, they fly away. They hover away. What do, do helicopters fly? Yes. Well, the word, but the, what would you call what they do? Well, I think because they have propellers. Like, there's another. Is this? Am I sounding really crazy here? I don't think you're sounding crazy. I think they fly when they're hovering. They're just hovering. Above yeah. The so uh, whatever. So the, <laughs> uh, God. Okay, Justin, we just get rid of that. <laughs> Please just get rid of everything about me questioning whether they fly. I know that they fly, but I think I mean, you should like, keep it. In. Is there a word for what the propellers do? Well, as opposed to this like, is wings. a good moment. So last time we we asked our audience. What was Kylie Minogue doing? Yeah. In 2009? Seven? Yeah. I don't remember why we were asking this, but we, we got our response. Thank we you, got Peter. a message saying that she was working on her album X and she was battling breast cancer. So for our next episode, I would really love if someone could tell us what helicopters do. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, like, I can't have a platform. I really can't. Like, I, it is against my true nature. Um, I think it's against what I was born for, um, for me to be publishing publicly my inner monologue. Well, with a blog and Instagram and a <laughs> podcast, it seems like I'm really setting myself up for the the death that I so desire. <laughs> um, so they escape on this helicopter, and when they land safely somewhere else. The priest takes Alima, and this is the priest, of course, that married Layla and Hank. So this is an important priest to them. And he says to Hank that he will help Alima disappear because, you know, it would be extremely dangerous for her, for people to know what she's carrying. Yeah. Um, She would be, you know, sought after and perhaps killed because she's carrying the clone of Jesus Christ. So the priest takes Alima to freedom and safety. Uh, away from prying eyes. So then we jump ahead a tiny bit and we're back at the office, of course. You know, it has to end back at the modern skeptic's office. Yes. 
And Hank is pouring scotch for Aaron and Rachel, his tried and true followers. Um, he's not mentioning, mentioning his, his wife who died um, or their other fallen comrades, but they're celebrating that they, you know, they finally beat this however long demon that they've been battling of Hank's past. I just feel like now knowing that Lynch was carrying the Antichrist and that Alima is carrying baby Jesus, I just feel like wouldn't that make them more like, we should maybe go to church. You know, like maybe we should <laughs> Wait, read our scripture. Are we like low-key kind of Catholic? <laughs> I'm just um, sus that I don't want to end up I'm just lynches. sus that like <laughs> Satan is kind of the worst and I'm like falling in love with Jesus Christ. So um, they're celebrating and Beck arrives and she's back to her true self. She's wearing a peasant top. It's side floral. Braid. She's got a side braid. It's delicate. It's very elaborate. She has definitely quit the FBI. She's looking so ethereal. And she doesn't say anything about the FBI, but presumably she's quit because she's dressed in, in expressive artistic clothing. You know, she's dressed like a kindergarten teacher <laughs> um, or a middle school art teacher or someone of the like. And she suggests that she and Theo are, in fact, back together, which happy for them. Um, and she says goodbye to Hank. And she says that they'll meet again, most likely. You know, she's just like, I get, the, I get a sense that we'll meet again. Now, in my mind, of course they'll meet again because nobody stayed behind to make sure that Lynch was dead. Yes. So, or Vincent. So she could easily be alive. I don't think they would go back on that in season two. You don't think that they would bring Lynch back? No, I think what Hank says next is going to be the rest of the series. Right. Because what he says next is, you know, um, Beck leaves and he turns to Aaron and Rachel and he says, you know, it's much easier to disprove than to believe. He has been spending all these years running modern skeptics magazine, which is of course a magazine that disproves hoaxes. You know, they, they deny the existence of UFOs and of aliens. Um, they're anti-religious, anti any kind of, you know, unscientific belief. But he turns to them and he says, you know what, maybe we should go back and revisit all of the hoaxes that we've disproved. Go back and revisit the Yeti. Revisit the Loch Ness Monster. Revisit UFOs. Because I'm not really a skeptic anymore. I'm curious that maybe when we were disproving things, we were missing something. I think this is just a very clear direction that the direction show's going to that, go in. like, the, each season presumably would be them tackling another. So you don't think... Quote-unquote conspiracy theory or hoax. If there was going to be another season, you don't think that it would be so religious? Like, it wouldn't lean so hard into, like... I don't think so. ...being biblical. So maybe season two would be about aliens? I mean, it could go either way. I, I could see then the, the, the tail end of the show, we get a, a glimpse of a Lima. So I, I guess it could see them either, yeah. depending on audience reactions. I just feel like this show leans so hard on... Yeah the biblical and on the religious and like ultimately this show is about like the apocalypse according to the book of revelations. I don't think they would have legs to stand on for season two if they didn't continue down that path. Like am I supposed to just tune into season two and it's about the Loch Ness monster? I'd be into it, yeah. but it's not in keeping with like the I themes mean, of the show. This season we were surprised at how quickly they were going, but I think, yeah. I mean, it feels like a somewhat complete story. Like, 
because they managed to avoid yeah. the apocalypse. So I mean, if if there was a season two and it just opened with like, oh, Lynch is still alive and we jump back into the same conflict, I would be disappointed for sure. Too, yeah. But I think that that just goes to show like they were right to cancel this show. I don't think after three episodes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like I don't think that you can take the show successfully into another season. No. Um, so the show ends with a flash forward to eight months later and eight months, you know, those of you who are familiar with the gestation period (laughs) of a human child, you know, after nine months you would give birth. So we see a Lima and she is, according to the text we see on the screen, quote unquote, somewhere in Africa. Um, and she's in um, a small little house in the mountains in Africa with one other person. There's a man with her. And um, she's very pregnant. And she's just relaxing. You know, she's on the bed. And her, her partner that's with her, the man, turns to her and says that there are many sick and wounded lined up to see her outside. So I guess, you know, wherever she is, word has gotten around that she can heal the sick and the wounded. And she's willing. She's ready and able because she is, you know, essentially married. She only has a few more weeks with these powers. I mean, I like the idea that you don't, she doesn't even have to wait till Jesus is born for the yeah. healing to start, but her just being pregnant with Christ has yeah. given her like superpowers to like <laughs> heal the sick. So she opens the door and there's, you know, all these people lined up to be healed and, you know, it, it appears to be Africans, but then there are two sort of outliers in this line <laughs> and we see who these people are that are lined up to see her, you know, five or six people deep in the line. We see white Vincent He's got his eyes completely covered, so it's suggested that he's completely blind now because he's holding hands with the child that he has been given, the, the haunted mute child. And he turns to the kid and he said, we found her, the one who can fix us. Finally, Vincent and this child are getting what they so deeply desire, which is to be healed and to be fully... I wonder how um, they're communicating. With each other? Yeah. Because one of them is mute and the other blind? Yeah. Through touch, <laughs> through hugs, you know, um, and that is the end. Yeah, we get we fade to black. That's that's it. That's that shit. Um, that that ending to me is what suggested that they would continue on like the religious kind of thing. Yeah, because if Vincent survived, then perhaps Lynch might have also survived. Yeah, and then for season two, do we have like the rise of the Antichrist? Yeah, I mean. It's going to be a newborn baby, so I'm not quite sure how that would work. But also just the fact that Alima already has these, like, powers of healing, but she's, like, still pregnant. I don't know. I just feel like that would be a direction that they would take the show in. It's possible. Many possibilities. At the end of the day, the show um, won't really give you what you're looking for because... I don't think that we were looking for anything, though, so I'm not (laughs) sure that we can really complain. What were we looking for that we weren't given? I mean, I think... All I'm ever looking Coherent for. Coherent leads with wants, <laughs> complex desires. Coherent leads with goals that make sense. <laughs> um, I will say, I think The Beautiful Life was, of course, cut down in, I wouldn't say it's prime, but it might have gone somewhere. And Brittany and Kevin also ended abruptly because of her knee injury. And then mm. it flashed forward to her, them getting married. I mean, we know that Brittany and Kevin could have gone somewhere because it was leading up to Brittany's breakdown and right. like an intensely entertaining period of her life. It was really nice to 
see a complete arc. An arc that has a complete conclusion. Like, this was the complete first season of Zero Hour. So it went where they were intending it to go. It didn't get cut off (laughs) um, early. So we were able to see how it was meant to conclude. Um, I'm I'm not not mad about it. I, I... I hope that Anthony Edwards, I'm sure he's still working. I think, you know, again, he's a very talented actor. He's not going to go down in history as my favorite, but... um, Maybe I would give him another chance. I would watch him in... I'm not watching ER. Like, no. But I would maybe see him in a a breezy 90-minute indie film. Hmm. Maybe. What about this show? What if this show had been like a movie? Like a Da Vinci Code type movie or like a National Treasure vibe. Like just one action-packed movie. I think it would have been better that way, personally. Because I think it would have been a hundred times less bloated. Right. And less repetitive. Just um Like if you just t- took this story of like these, the box. these clocks that are guarding the blood of Jesus, which, you know, these bad guys want to use to clone Jesus and bring about... The end of the world. It would have been better. I also think we would have had less characters. I think, like, it, I think it probably would have been two leads again, like a male, yeah. female, division. like just Hank and Beck. Yeah, or Layla. hopefully they would recast both of, or at least Beck, <laughs> and, and then their characters would have kind of been more fleshed out, yeah. or, or at least more competent. You know, maybe he yeah. would have actually solved a puzzle, and maybe she would have actually made yeah. a shot. I feel like whoever wrote this show, and I want to be the you writer know, of Prison Break. Right. <laughs> Just the right. I mean, I'm sure he had a writer's room. Right, yeah. It felt to me like they were, they were probably really excited about this idea. Yeah. Like, you know, this Dan Brown vibe and like they're really into like Bible conspiracies or whatever. But they're like way too excited about this concept than they are about writing a TV show that's fun. I could also see it being because it's so, because they had budget. They did and have a budget. because it's so high concept, I could see th- maybe the initial intention getting clouded through, like, the studios and the producers and things yeah. like that. So, um, I don't know. At the end of the day... That maybe they just, like, had hoops to jump through that they couldn't get through. Exactly. At the end of the day, I've never written an entire-ass show, you know, like... Oh, but that doesn't mean we can't be out here judging. That's the uh, whole point of the pod. You're so right. You're so Don't right. be so level-headed about it. <laughs> um, I have to sneeze. Uh, <laughs> What is more cathartic? That felt that felt amazing. That's I feel like that sneeze has been sitting within me for like literal weeks. So did I take my allergy pill today? Do you remember? Have you been watching? Did you you keeping tabs on what pills I've taken? On your bedside drawer? No, the one that I keep right here in the kitchen. Oh no, I don't know. Um, something I was thinking about. Back. Yeah. All those technical difficulties right just there gave me horror flashbacks to when we recorded the first episode of our podcast three or four times before it was successfully recorded. It's just like we had to talk about I don't the know beautiful why the life so many you would, times. I don't know why the fuck you would bring that up right now. <laughs> Are you trying to give me a fucking anxiety attack? Um, a thought that I was having about this show, which somebody else I was talking to was relating to, is comparing it to like later seasons of Alias. Um, Alias, of course, was in the early 2000s. It got like five seasons. Um, but one of the things that comes later is there's like a, a sort of Leonardo da Vinci type historical character who was like a mastermind who predicted the future and did he like invented impossible inventions and also had like knowledge of the future and wrote um, 
prophecies that Ooh. later took place. Um, and it is very incoherent and very silly, this this plotline, but it is a huge deal in the series of Alias. It ends up being sort of the ultimate plotline of the show. Um, but it doesn't matter that it doesn't really make sense because it's fun. Yeah. And, I, and that's like... Rimbaldi is the character and like it's it is ridiculous and it is silly I watched the show as a child so I can't really speak to it because I don't I was not an adult but you love the character of Sydney yeah you're so invested in her life and her romances and her survival that all of the sort of like silly mysticism is not it doesn't take away from like the amount that you enjoy the show and how much you're invested in the character. Yeah. And that was obviously the problem with Zero Hour. It was is not that fun. <laughs> it's not really that fun. The characters are not well written. Yeah. Like the characters are just not well established characters. You don't care about them. You don't love them. You're not invested in their lives. And so then it's like you don't like the characters plus you have this like really convoluted elaborate mystery plot line that's like super biblical and like just kind of like over the top with like all these different countries and clocks and, and it's it not just like is you, you just get lost in all it's of not it. like you and i are desperate for a really complex layered story like all we need yeah. ultimately as yeah. signaled by smash yeah a perfect show yeah is, All we really need is to be entertained and, yeah. t- like, you know, tantalized but and titillated. Thinking, because you just brought up Alias, it made me think J.J. Abrams, also the creator of Felicity. And Lost. And Lost. But and Lost is another one of those shows that is, like, the last, puzzling. The last season of Felicity, the WB, like, gave them a set of episodes, so they finished at, like, episode 18. And then they're like, oh, J.K., you need to give us, like, six more episodes. So they did that like a really bizarre time travel thing. And yeah. it's like, what does the show just about a cute girl in college, like falling in love? Why is it now? I mean, that mystical? was just JJ. That was just JJ writing probably what he really wanted to be writing, which was yeah. like weird sci-fi because then he went on to make, I mean, he made Alias yeah. after that. And then he made Lost. Lost also has a spiritual element. In addition to like sci-fi, it also has like mystical religious yeah subtexts um i think lost is overall more effective but it does have a really sloppy final season Uh, what would a zero hour created by jj abrams be it would have better characters at the end of the day like i think that's the thing is that jj abrams shows have better characters yeah i don't i don't actually think that the mystery of zero hour is that hard to understand it's not difficult to understand it's just like difficult to buy it's difficult to take seriously more than it is confusing yeah and it is just a lot of like one clock leading to the next clock leading to the next clock like oh my god one just, of, yeah. either rachel or aaron should have been having a blast they should have been so excited about the clocks and yeah there was no one excited about it rachel and aaron seemed more interested in the mystery than anyone else. I mean, for Hank, it was personal. So it was like he was scared to admit, you know, that he was intrigued because then he would have to admit that he thought he was a clone. Yeah. Um, But Rachel and Aaron, I do think, are the two characters where they just missed the mark on those characters. They could have been, especially as a viewer, like you, you want a character to kind of relate to and connect with. And you're not connecting with Hank and you're not connecting with Beck. Yeah. So like, I need to be able to connect with Rachel or Aaron. Um, I don't know if the demographic of the show, if they were shooting older, and that's why, you know, the show is about Hank and 
you know, he's obviously an older man. I think if they had focused on Rachel and Aaron, who are younger, it would have they would have been looking for a different demographic. And they don't even need to be leads. No, just give us a side character that like give us a comic or, relief side character, or lean totally into the procedural thing. Yeah, and have every episode be a mystery surrounding a different clock or like a different you know piece of this puzzle, and make it more procedural, and then have the characters be like more lighthearted and funny, and have like the one character with the dark backstory and the one character that's lighthearted and fun. Like, yeah, there's just a lot of things that they could have done to make this show better. And I'm I'm not a TV writer, and I can't fix this show but i can complain about it zero hour has the speed of a lifetime movie the mystery of like a da vinci code type novel what what novels are you referencing something brown dan brown dan brown dan brown is the author of the da vinci code as far as i know and characters that no one asked for yeah i mean the the biggest issue i think we've determined is the characters and the fact that they aren't fun but you know what will be fun? The next show we're covering. I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> we're not going to tell you yet because our next episode is going to be a mini-sode. It's going to be more fun, um, less of just covering plot. Um, and We're we going to get back to us. We're going to get so back to us. Oh my God. Just like back to our roots. <laughs> and then, of course, we're going to roll into another show. And we're not going to jump into another big, long series we're gonna do something a little bit shorter a little bit lighter less plot driven hopefully and more gabbing yeah more of a good time um you know as we say at the end of every episode oh wait 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 what abby you're so good at this this is always my favorite part would you like to deliver a eulogy a eulogy for zero hour (sighs) okay do you need a moment i do need a moment i can stall I'm just going to take a sip of my wine and just think about it. It's a show that has impacted us in ways far more. I think I'm going to give it like it's my uncle. Oh. Not an actual uncle that I have, just that relationship. Oh, God. That kind of relationship. Copy. Copy. I don't, not, not a literal uncle. Just, just think of like an, an avuncular relationship. I got it. Um, that's kind of how I see this show. Kind of like a, an awkward uncle figure. Okay. Um, is this the eulogy? I just want to... Is just, this it? No, I'm, it I just... Uh, this is something I can intro. Got it, got it, got it. Just think of this show like, you know, <laughs> somebody that's in your life that is close to you, but you don't really understand. But you'd still be sad to see them go. Yeah. Um, you know... Let me paint the scene. It's raining. It's gray out. It's probably a, a white floral arrangement sitch. And next up is Abigail Sandra Baldwin. I think that, you know, a lot of us here today are extremely grateful for the impact that Zero Hour has had on all of our lives. You know, Zero Hour was always just there to challenge us and to push us to think deeper and be more complex as people. And I think a lot of the time we took it for granted. And we didn't truly value it for what it had to offer us. And I do feel like zero hour was taken from us too soon. And that we were denied a future that may have been really beautiful. And I think all of us here can agree to carry 
with us, the spirit, the message of zero hour, which is that, you know, good will defeat evil and, you know, choose love and choose truth and turn your back on the wicked ways of the world. I think that that is, you know, if zero hour was still with us, still speaking to us, still in our lives, still making us laugh at dinner. I think that, you know, that's what the show would really want us to take with us. You know, we get to keep living. We get to wake up every day with the potential of a future. We get to make choices that zero hour doesn't get to make. So please remember to make choices that would honor and respect the memory of zero hour. Thank you. And with that, amen. Please follow us on Instagram <laughs> at Dearly Departed The Pod. You can follow us on Twitter at Dearly The Podcast. Um, and you can listen to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. We are also on Stitcher. Are they not already listening to us on one of those platforms? Please subscribe (laughs) on every single platform if you have the option. Tell your friends about us. We've been doing a lot of fun tags on Instagram. We've been doing fun challenges. Check those out. And we will meet you again when we get around to it. Until next time.